Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tell just quickly tell us how it is you learn information about animals who have been struck by vehicles who did not go to the grocery store and yet they have the same diseases that we people who go to the grocery store have. Oh, well, the reason, the reason the animals have the same diseases, cancer and birth defects and other uh, problems, uh, as people who eat processed food from the grocery store, is because the glyphosate that they spray on all the food that they put in the processed foods and the other uh, herbicides and, and the pesticides, well, pesticides in general, herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides, those uh, travel for thousands of miles and come down in the rain and snow, and we live directly upwind of lots and lots and lots of uh, of uh, sprayed fields, which are in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and in California. And uh, the wind, come, the wind uh, weather fronts uh, in general come straight over all of those sprayed fields, and then uh, and pick up all the dust. And then when it rains and snows, the chemicals come down in the rain and the snow. I had uh, snow water tested in March, five months after they sprayed chlorothalonil on the potatoes for potato blight in uh, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, uh, in 1999. And there was a half a part per billion um, of chlorothalonil, of a combination of chlorothalonil and its uh, two breakdown products in the snow water that landed in our yard, which is in the middle of 100 acres, which is not sprayed with anything. And uh, so it had to come from somewhere, which was straight west, because that's where the wind came from, the snow came from. And that's a half a part per billion, is five times more than it takes to kill frog embryos. Ouch. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, Judy's experience is uh, seeing what, happens to these animals sort of uh, post-mortem, you know, uh, sort of like they do in the morgue. And, and then right, you I necropsy up. Uh, yeah, and, the, uh, and she leaves her knees alone. I love the, that fact, but, you know, uh, you learn a lot when you tear people apart. In our study, we'd rather keep them alive. We would rather learn from their live carcasses rather than their de- dead carcasses. Well, I also take, I'm a wildlife rehabilitator, so I take care of, of uh, live ones. Uh, today I got a, a fledgling robin that had an underdeveloped upper bill, so it has an underbite. That's caused by uh, 2,4-D, which is now being going to be sprayed on all of your food, and, that's, and you're going to get to eat it. Well, can't you just buy Roundup at the store and put it on your own food? Well, you can buy Roundup and 2,4-D uh, in the store, in the store, and and spray it on anything you want to. Yeah, there's no law against you spraying it on anything, but but they are going to use Roundup and 2,4-D com- combined half and half, and it's called Enlist, 
and it's going to be put, uh, sprayed on enlist-ready crops, which uh, like grain, uh, corn, uh, wheat, uh, etc. And uh, and so 240 and and Roundup or glyphosate, which is its main product, uh, will be in the food that you buy at the store. Right now, there's uh, high levels of glyphosate, significant, biologically significant levels of glyphosate in the uh, in 80 percent of the processed foods that you buy at the store. Well, you know, Judy, Judy, our co-host is Dr. Richard L. Stump, M.D., and his favorite statement is that buy nothing in a box. So you're talking about processed foods. I'm assuming, uh, you know, the majority of it would be in a in a box. So, uh, well, in a box or processed in some way, yes. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but with this knowledge, Judy, my question to you is: What are you and your husband and family doing to avoid it? Or people who listen to you? Um. Well, we don't eat much, very much processed foods in a box. We we grow our own garden, uh, which. Is gar- but but organic food isn't organic because I just told you what was landing in the snow in our yard. So that was five months after they sprayed the chlorothalonil last. So how much is landing on our garden when they're spraying it? Exactly. Or if I had tested for glyphosate, then I, there there I would have found that it uh, something like seventy percent of the tests that they did for uh snow uh, not snow uh rain and uh and air tests uh, a really high percent had uh, glyphosate in them so obviously it's landing on everything too that's why the deer are malformed and the uh well the big game animals all of the grazing animals are mouth have birth defects because they eat so much uh foliage and the foliage is covered with all of these pesticides that land on it in the rain. By the way, as a sidebar to that, I was amazed to find out recently that more Agent Orange, actually Agent Orange, was dropped in the United States or was used in the United States as a pesticide than was dropped in Vietnam. Five million tons versus seven million tons in the U.S. of A. I never reported that, was it? Orange. Mm-hmm. No, he was. They actually put it in his other name, you know, which was 24D and 24T, whatever it was. But that's exactly what his name was. Yep, that's it. Now, if I can, uh, Judy, you, have, uh, you and Stephanie Senna have written an article that hasn't been published yet, so we won't discuss it with too much detail. Um, but how did you two girls hook up? Actually, it was three girls. Um, I uh, think. As I remember, I got um, either Nancy Swanson or Stephanie Seneff's um, <clears throat> name and, and uh, <clears throat> um, you know, contact information and uh, wrote to them. And then I can't even remember. We all got together, and uh, I sent them the photos of the malformed baby animals, uh, birds and uh, mammals, and, uh, by the way, children have the same birth defects, <laughs> which is what we showed in our study. Uh, everything that I was seeing on the uh, wildlife, we looked, uh, they looked up on the CDC records, and, um, and, the, uh, and, and everything that the wild, every, 
all the conditions that the wildlife had, they're going up in humans, and especially yeah. human newborns. The um, you know one of the one of the first things that I discussed with Stephanie Seneff was the lack of sulfur makes it easy for us to become toxic, become toxic with all of those heavy metals and all those pesticides and all those herbicides. The sulfur is not there to take out the trash. And you know, I think the the question that John asked, what do you you know, what are you and your family doing? Well, those people who listen to this radio show or who are take sulfur, that's what they're doing. They're getting the trash out. You know, now should we leave blocks of sulfur around for the deer and the antelope and all that stuff? Well, maybe. You know, because those people who go out and hunt those animals, guess what? They're eating exactly what Judy has been describing, deformities. Now, we could all become cannibals and solve the cancer problem really quick. But, you know, well, if we, became, if go ahead. we became cannibals. Cannibals, yeah. then what would cut down the people population, that would help. <laughs> well, Bill, Bill Gates and Bill Gates Jr. and Sr. would agree with you, but we happen to know because some of us fly airplanes and we see what's on the ground and we see all, even with all these lights on, there's still lots of territory where you can't grow food, where you can grow houses. You know, what we've done is we've grown all of our uh, houses on the good bottom land, and we expect to grow food on the bad land. So this work, general works project we have is we'll tear down all the houses that are on the good land and build houses on the bad land. Everybody will have work. Wow, it's great. And being that we'll all be healthy, we won't have a problem with the expense. You know, well, we have... the only way you're... Go ahead. Oh, the, I was going to say, the only way that everything's going to be healthy, no matter where you build houses or grow food, is if they stop you uh, spraying, uh, dousing everything with chemicals. Well, if we stop buying Roundup at the store, guess what? They'll run out of the money to spray the chemicals. If we stop buying Roundup in the store, they won't have enough money to spray anybody's crops. Yay. I mean, that, that's a fact. You know, yeah, but you how, know. How does my... Yeah, Monsanto survives because we go out and buy these silly white bottles of Roundup and kill everything. We're, we're talking about everything. And if we stop doing that, one, we can get the glyphosate and all the other stuff out, but the people who are doing it won't, will be broke. They won't be able to do it anymore. Monsanto won't be around. Hugh Grant will have to go back to Scotland and suck on his toes. Yeah, but Patrick, the frustrating thing is that all those executives at Monsanto, including the CEO, who's a criminal, all of our uh, elected officials in Washington, state level, local level, these people are, are totally aware, acutely aware of what the downside of just what Judy's talking about in Stephanie Center about the uh, glyphosate, no. et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 no. And, no, and they're Judy. eating the same food, though. That's the whole yeah, point. No, Judy will tell you that the officials scoff at her. They say she's a crazy old bat. Well, where there's smoke, there's fire. Why don't they look into this uh, allegations? And... Because there's too much money in the chemical. Because of we, money. Yeah, if we stop buying the, the Roundup, if we stop buying the Roundup, we'll go to the break and we'll come back and talk about that when we come back after the break. Here's the news. The day that the rain came down,
have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
Welcome back. This is a Sulphur Hour Plus One on American Voice Radio Network. Our special guest tonight is Judy Hoy, who is, is rehabilitates birds, dogs, cats, coyotes, cougars, uh, wild mastodons that she finds in Montana. And, uh, and, and from doing so, she found that these animals have been subjected to exactly the same chemicals that you and I have when we go to the A&P. So please say hello to the audience, Judy. Uh, hello. Excellent. And then Richard L. Stump is my co-host. Uh, Adam Bergstrom has joined us from Antares, and John Panagudin from Connecticut. So uh, we don't have you for that long, so let's continue. Um, when the uh, What was the first thing that indicated to you that there was something wrong with these animals? Uh, well, when I got uh, <clears throat> eight, my husband picked up uh, dead deer uh, as part of his job, and <clears throat> he would bring them home, and um, some of them I would uh, butcher up to feed uh, carnivorous uh, birds and animals that I was taking care of, and <clears throat> he got eight uh, bucks in uh, the spring of 1996. So the bucks were born, and they were all yearlings, and they were born in 1995, and none of them had a scrotum except for one had a half a scrotum. Now that's that's bad news for men. Now, yeah, I mean, come on. Now you just hurt some. You just hurt some men. You just hurt them really bad. You know, so so they were incomplete. Now it's interesting. In our study, we had a report from Romania of all places that a little girl who was born with spina bifida, open spine. She's been taking sulfur for a while. Her spine has closed. But the, the you know the, the process of conception is now finally complete. She's closed her spine. And, yep. and you know, and that's that's what we're talking about as far as these animals. They have not completed their biology. Uh, right. The the uh, that the the growth of their male genitalia is disrupted. And it causes the uh, penis sheath on the external skin to be very short, and the uh, scrotum to be um, <coughs> um, to not be developed. And yeah. uh, so the testes are ectopic under the skin. And the Fish and Game Department uh, biologist said that I was being picky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want deer with big testicles, damn it. <laughs> well, well, no, they have testicles. They're under the skin, <laughs> and they don't work under the skin because they're up against the body wall where they're kept hot, and that damages the sperm. And so uh, the sperm is uh, not viable, so it doesn't make little fawns. And, uh, but the testes are there, and the testes yeah. do descend, but they don't go where they are supposed to go because of the hormone. Well, it's actually the sonic hedgehog gene that dictates how these... Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, you went through that, really, the sonic hedgehog? Oh, it's just, it's called the sonic hedgehog gene, and that's kind of a funny name. I didn't name them, scientists did. But they dictate... <laughs> uh, they dictate where things go, like, uh, uh, and how big they get. And if the sonic hedgehog signaling genes are disrupted enough, uh, 
or, or if there's not enough, that makes one kind of, of uh, birth defect, and if there's too much, that makes another kind of birth defect. Another thing the sonic hedgehog gene dis- dictates is, is where the teeth buds are located. And I don't know if any of you have noticed, but a lot of little kids have very crooked teeth, and a lot of animals have very crooked teeth. Dogs have very crooked teeth. Uh, quite a few dogs have underbite that aren't supposed to have underbite. There are dogs that are bred to have underbites, like bulldogs, but other dogs that aren't supposed to have underbite, they have underbite. Wolves have underbite. And right. uh, usually they have very crooked lower incisors as well as an underbite. And, Judy, I assume this is a result of glyphosate? Uh, well, guess what uh, disrupts the, that... Glyphosate has been shown by peer-reviewed studies to disrupt the sonic hedgehog genes, yes. Oh, my God. No, no, hey, no, come on. No. How much longer can we live? Well, that's a good question, because, Judy, you said that you and Stephanie Seneff and uh, the other girls' studies were looking at uh, humans' uh, studies. And now, is there a parallel with this undeveloped uh, reproduction in human males that you're seeing also? Completely. Well, yeah, you all you you've all heard of. Uh, well, hey, there's a lot of trouble getting uh, women don't get pregnant, uh, and they have to go to uh, a gynecologist and do all kinds of fancy things, or or have uh, you know do they do all kinds of things to get a baby nowadays, and a lot of the times it's because. Uh, either the woman or the man can't make normal eggs or normal sperm. Now, Adam, Adam has often said, not on our show, but on other shows, if you don't have enough sulfur in your body, you can't get pregnant. Is that true, Adam? That is true. It, it, pregnancy yeah. is sulfurization. Okay. And, you know, in, in our study, we've had some impossible pregnancies get pregnant. Uh, but that, those generally aren't the people who call us. You know, now the people who call us are people who want to look good. They, they're wolves that want to have straight teeth. Foxes that want to have that, that glow in their eye. Uh, eight-year-olds <laughs> from, you know, from uh, Connecticut who, who want to have the same glow that Agnes has. Um, we are animals of observation. If we observe correctly, we survive. If we just take shortcuts or keep looking at our cell phone, we get run over by buses, and then we send your body to Judy, and she sends it to the lab, and we find the same results. <laughs> no, I don't do people. <laughs> well, I know. We do. We just keep them alive. You know, if yeah, someone's know. alive, yeah, you can always put them on a bus. You want to see this person? We'll put them on a bus. We'll send them to you. They're alive. <laughs> hey, Judy, just as a, a side note here, you uh, – I spoke with uh, Patrick earlier today, and he mentioned you were coming on and that you care for birds. And I brought up uh, the bird man of Alcatraz, Robert Stroud. Now, he ha- he wrote a book, Diseases of Birds, and, of course, you probably are aware of this, but I'd try and bring it up if you're not. He was using, we talked about this earlier, but he was using sodium perborate in water, and this was curing the birds. It's just uh, hydrogen peroxide, basically, and extra oxygen. So are you involving oxygen or peroxide or ozone or anything in your uh, help with the animals at all? Uh, no, I, I give them uh, MSM, which is, uh, and me, uh, sulfur, you know, the MSM is methyl sulfonyl 
Methane. Methane, yeah. Methane, yes. Um, which is, I think, a natural sulfur. Well, and, Judy, um, go and ahead. And I give them cell, homeopathic cell salts, which makes their faces grow to normal. All right. Well, Judy, here's a good question because you're on the, the, the sulfur hour, and we, we talk about organic sulfur versus methyl sulfonyl methane, MSM. So I'm going to let Patrick tell you the difference, and it, it's all something called uh, silicon dioxide that renders MSM unusable, and we have a way of testing it. So you can test your MSM to see if it works, but guess what? You'll probably find it doesn't work. So go ahead, Patrick. Good, good, well, after, good timing. After that lead-in, Regis Sheldon, um, that MSM is a uh, metabolite of dimethyl sulfoxide, and it metabolizes by dehydration. And so now people distill it or they spray it, but it all starts out as dimethyl sulfoxide and ends up as a crystal, and then some people beat on it and pulverize it, and generally that makes it not work. But in the 16 years that we've been doing organic sulfur, there's not many MSMs, including veterinary supply MSMs, even though we have some people right now using some veterinary supply MSMs. You know, a vet who deals with million-dollar horses is going to have the best stuff he can get his hands on because he charges an awful lot to stick his hand up the rump of that horse. Uh, you know, it's it, what is made is the same by everybody, and then they screw it up. They had anti-caking ingredients, silicon dioxide being the worst, potassium permanganate being the least. But they still block the uptake of sulfur. So there's still no sulfur to take out the trash. We all become toxic. We all become the animals that Joy sees on the road, i.e. roadkill. Are you going to open a restaurant, roadkill, specialties, or what? <laughs> Don't invite me. <laughs> Hey, Judy, I'm curious, why, why were you using MSM? What got you to start using that? Uh, what did you discover that uh, it was helping your animals? Oh, well, I started using it on me first. Because uh, three doctors told me I was going to die in 1997 because I had inflammation of the lungs, what basically walking pneumonia. And, uh, <clears throat> and they wanted to give me all kinds of things like prednisone, which I can't take. I can't take hardly anything prescription drugs. They all make me sick. <clears throat> so um, somebody told me to try some MSM, and I'm still here. Well, you might have found one that works, one of the few that work. Well, I don't know. It's just plain ordinary old horse horse MSM, Well, the kind they use on horses. Yeah, in 2001, they removed the additive, additional additives from veterinary MSM. So if it has additives in it, you don't know that. So what you do is you take one teaspoon of that veterinary MSM and you dissolve it in two ounces of water, and you make sure nothing's floating and nothing's sinking, and then you drink off 90% of it, and you set the glass aside and let God take all the water away, and you see what grows. If what grows are microscopic crystals, then it's not very good sulfur. If the crystals climb out of the glass and steal your car, now we're talking. <laughs> Yeah. So you so can you test need, your own, Judy, a minute. You need, uh, you need big crystals. Well, um, nobody told me that there was any other kind of MSM or organic sulfur at the time. Right. Now I know there is another kind, which I'm planned to try. Yeah, and, 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 and we'll talk about that. But, I mean, there's, I know of seven facilities in the whole world who make 
MSM, methylsulfonamethane. They're all food grade. They all come from the same source who will remain nameless. And, and you know, if they were left at, at their natural base, they could supply 8 billion people quite easily. But a lot of that stuff is sold to resellers. You know, uh, all of the vitamin stores, Vitamin Shop, uh, Nature's Way, all those people. And they want to sell what the people are going to take. And no one's going to take a nasty, nasty, bitter-tasting thing. So they want pills or capsules, which don't work. Period. Don't work. If you have to take 40 capsules to get the same effect as one teaspoon or something, you're really wasting your money. Uh, yeah, I don't take capsules. That's why I don't take capsules. Yeah, the horse, you know, they, M- the horse MSM isn't a capsule. It just looks like sugar. Doesn't taste like sugar, but it looks like sugar. Yeah. No, I understand that. And, and you know what you may, what you're using may work. You know, I mean, hold it. You're in Montana. Yeah, I don't know where the MSM came from, though. It's it's the kind they use on horses, though, not the kind that comes in capsules for humans. Um. It 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 can it could come from China, it could come from India, it could come from Washington State. Um, gee, you know, it's it's all the same stuff until the people who resell it get their hands on it. Right. And yeah, and in 1974, Stanley Jacobs wrote a book called MSM: The Miracle Solution to Pain, and it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for about 40 weeks. And it caught so much attention that the pharmaceutical companies got really involved in the packaging of MSM. They got seriously involved in the packaging of MSM. They got seriously involved in the packaging of all cell phones. That's why they want the business. They've been doing the packaging for years. And screwing it up. Well, they know what it does. Exactly. That's the point. And we don't. I mean... God, here's a brilliant woman like Judy, and she wasn't aware that uh, there could be a problem with that. So, uh, welcome well, to the for hour, Judy. Yeah, but, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but Judy's dealing with the canaries in the mind. You know, I had never really been aware of the fact that a bird could have an underbite. I really didn't have an. I just didn't. I just didn't think about it. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't think about it. I apologize to all the birds. I never thought about. <laughs> The way your beak works. I apologize. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, quite a lot of birds. Quite a lot of birds have underbite. The other thing they get is uh, mouth uh, club feet, um, legs that don't work because of neurological problems, um, and uh, and and malformed feathers or feathers that just don't grow when they when they're babies. Yeah. They're supposed to grow feathers, and their feathers just don't grow, and they end up on the ground when they fledge, and they get dead. They, yeah, we have cats. So I understand how that works. Um, the uh, you know when when a fellow in Utah wrote a book called uh, Canaries in the Coal Mine, and um, all of the birds that we see are those same canaries. Their their metabolism is so fast. You know, they don't have to be a hummingbird to have a fast metabolism. A seagull has a fast metabolism as well. And so when we poison them, that really affects them quicker. They they show the effects a lot quicker than, than you know, a four-year-old does who's been vaccinated. And their teeth are doing the same thing you see the, you know, in the wild. Um, we're all related to the same phylum. We all breathe air. We're air breathers. All the people who, all the animals that, uh, 
Judy's looked at were air breathers. Did you did you deal with any animals that didn't breathe air? Uh, no, <laughs> no, we just do vertebrates. And you know, yeah. and then we think, I don't yeah. do too many fish, but I do uh, uh, reptiles, amphibians, birds, and mammals, and of course humans are mammals. So yeah, now what? Do you, I don't think you see a lot of alligators in Montana, but uh, have you got any take on alligators? I say that again. <laughs> I said I don't, I don't think you see many alligators in Montana. But oh no, that. no alligators! Alligators! <laughs> I didn't catch the word alligators. Um, uh, <clears throat> no, we don't have any alligators here. Uh, what's but happening? we have we have snakes. Oh yeah, I know you have snakes. Well, now what's and happening? With, yeah, what's happening with the big uh, cat populations? With the big cat population? Yeah, the cougars, the mountain lions. The bat. Oh, well, well, uh, the mountain lions seem to be doing pretty well. Um, actually, I haven't seen underwrite on mountain lions. The thing is, is that the chemicals that cause the underbites, it, it, that is caused in birds because, and, uh, and animals that eat lots of, of uh Insects that eat grass, or that uh, ones that eat grass straight. The ones that are most affected are the ones that eat plants. In other words, um, in, uh, herb herbivores. The herbivores are the most affected, but I haven't seen uh, the um, very. Uh, I have seen some house cats with underbite. But they get they get fed, uh, you know, food from packages. Yeah. So their food is contaminated. Yeah. And of course, you know that uh, none of the studies that have been done since about 1994, or probably before that, maybe. But uh, the lab chow that is used uh, to feed the rodents uh, yeah. used that are uh, used for studies, they feed lab chow to both the control and the study animals, and the lab chow is contaminated with all, all kinds of uh, herbicides and, and other pesticides, and especially glyphosate, and so that completely contaminates all of the studies. Well, it's just like if you've been doing studies since 54, there hasn't been any sulfur in the soil. There just hasn't been any. You know, it's, this is one of those things. If you mandate the use of chemical fertilizers, like mandating the mass vaccinations in California, by the way, which the attorney general has, has deemed unconstitutional, hip hip hooray for the lawyers. Yeah, definitely hip hip hooray. Hip hooray for the lawyers. Uh, but you know, it's we are a, a very very fine tuned symphony, a balance. And Sal's not with us, so I can't. There's been no time to get a plate in fire or you know, played all the tunes and all that sort of stuff. And when that balance gets out of whack, it, it's not apparent immediately to us unless we pay attention. And that's what you've been doing, you know, for, for you know, as a dedication to, for, to whatever. Thank you for doing it, you know, to what's oh. going on to the animals. Well, you're oh. welcome. It's, it's <laughs> pretty hard to not see. 
uh, that there is something wrong. I don't understand why everybody can ignore it and and everybody can get by without uh, without uh, uh, w- w- saying there's nothing wrong. If you go to Yellowstone Park, there's it's very hard to find a bison anywhere in Yellowstone Park that has a normal scrotum. But all of these biologists and all of these people are standing there looking at the bison and looking at looking for wolves, et cetera, et cetera. Big bulls walk by with no scrotum or a half a scrotum or mm-hmm. the left half of the scrotum is in front of the right half of the scrotum, which is very <laughs> weird looking to me. But then I'm a woman. The men uh, uh, biologists couldn't care less. Well, you know, the, the female bison did. You know, well, I'm pretty sure the female bison care. One oh, one yeah. thing it does is if if a this <laughs> a great big huge bulls that have no scrotum or a very short scrotum so that their sperm is damaged, they have a harem of cows. So they breed all these cows and they fight off all of the other bulls, even normal ones, and then they breed the cows and the cows don't take. So then a normal bull breeds the cows again later, a month later. So you have all of these little calves running around in Yellowstone that are in, in the fall that have not, that look like newborns. And they don't make it through the winter. Yeah. Oh. And, and the same thing happens with the deer. You have deer oh, being born yeah. the end of July now, and they're supposed to be born the first uh, week of June. You know, uh, when when man tries to improve on God's plan, things go awry. Uh, yeah, definitely, Judy. I'm curious now. You say, that, why is it that the 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 uh, the not normal bulls breed first, and then the the normal bulls will breed second? What allows that to happen? And number two. Are the bison reproducing, uh, even though these calves can't make it through the winter because they're immature, so to speak? No, they're not there. Well, I just said there's a lot of calves that are born that are late, and they don't make it through the winter. It makes more food for the wolves and the bears and stuff. (laughs) But uh, uh, there are plenty of bison babies being born when they're supposed to be born because when the left half of the scrotum is in front of the right half, if the testes are down away from the body, in other words, if the scrotum is long enough, it doesn't matter if it looks funny to me. Um, and and uh, you remember, I'm being picky. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody keeps forgetting that. I'm being picky. <laughs> the left half of the scrotum is not supposed to be in front of the right half of the scrotum. It's always been side by side. That's the way they've been for millions of years. Since 1995, now about 70% of scrotums on deer and elk and other grazing animals and bison, etc., the left half is in front of the right. And, I have to interrupt you. I have, I have to interrupt. I don't know how many men are examining their scrotum right this very minute, but they will before the end of the night. <laughs> well, that's only started happening in 1995, in the spring of 1995. Before that, the scrotums were never screwy. Uh, I I was looking at the dead deer uh, before 1995, 
hundreds of them, and they weren't all screwing before 19 or back then. Uh, they just got looking crazy beginning in um, 1995. That was because they started spraying uh, many, many, many millions of pounds of glyphosate and chlorothalonil at the same time, uh, chlorothalonil on potato blight and glyphosate on the new GMO crops. And they work synergistically to uh, cause all kinds of birth defects. Uh, the other birth defects are inside of the animal, which you have to necropsy them to see. But what I can't understand is how millions of people can go through Yellowstone and not see the bison and have crazy scrotums. I just don't understand that. <laughs> the other thing is that 70% of the white-tailed deer I have examined in the last, since 2007 the left half of the scrotum has been in front of the right on the uh, on all of the male well on male fawns. There have been only thirty percent with normal side by side scrotums. Uh, again, that doesn't mean they can't reproduce if they're long, they're long enough and are down away from the body uh, far enough so that the sperm is not damaged. Right. Oh, and you ask about why. If you have a bison with a really short scrotum, it can still be a really huge big bison that can fight off all the other bison. That's what I said. Yeah, and then they cow. have a harem, and then they breed the cows. But then if the cow doesn't take, she usually finds a bison, a bull. Uh, the, 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 they, the harems break up then. And then whatever bull happens to be around will breed this cow that comes into heat a month late, and uh, then she may have a calf. Yeah, we call or them she may independent. Not. Yeah, but we call them ind independent bulls or Republicans. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, now, you know, this is see in Utah on Antelope Island, we have a growing larger and larger herd of bison. You know, pretty soon they'll want to vote. And, and I'm, you know, now I'm gonna have to go out to Antelope Island and start looking at the scrotum. Of, now, now, does that make me a pedophile? Does that mean a, make me a bison pedophile? <laughs> I, I don't know. think so. I don't think so, Fleshing. Make sure you're really We'll be back in five. Please stay with us if you can, Judy. See you in five. internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. 
No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 225 4659. That's 541 225 4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Got a package full of wishes A time machine, a magic wand A globe made out of gold No instructions or commandments Laws of gravity or indecisions to uphold Printed on the box I see The last part of that refrain is history starts now. When I spoke to Judy's husband before I spoke to Judy, he was a little disgruntled because no one was really listening to his wife. 
Now, I think it's amazing when a husband is worried that no one's listening to his wife. Um, we will correct the ills of the planet on the backs of the girls. Because the girls get the job done. The girls clean up. The girls, you know, the girls have the babies. The girls do all the work. And we think we're so swell and we're just sperm donors. So, Judy, if you can stay with us for a couple of minutes. You know, this is uh, the collaboration between you and Nancy and Stephanie, I think, is very valuable because we've got people who are all out of their realm. I mean, like, what are you girls doing talking about this stuff? You should go to, you should go to them and do knitting. You should get some bonbons. Come on, what's going on? <laughs> don't eat those. <laughs> well, I don't know you're saying. You know, you're seven decades. I can see why. You know, that, that's what we've learned from our, from our seniors who are no longer seniors. Now they're kids. Our 80-year-olds are kids. Our average age is 77. In deer years, that's a lot. In bison years, uh, that's Yep. Yeah, and so, but we're, you know, we're related to these animals. You know, Judy, that may not speak the language of the robins or, or, the, or the crows or the hawks, but she knows when they feel better. She knows when she can actually let them go. Now, is that is that eye-to-eye contact? I mean, I know you make eye contact with these animals. Is that what, how you know? Oh, oh, well, <laughs> they, I can tell by their, I can tell by what they say and how they act and, and how they look and, and their uh, overall health and all that. And whether they're eating by themselves and all that, whether it's time to let them go. And they also tell me because they want out and because they don't like being in a room or in a box or wherever uh, they happen or in a cage or whatever. They, when sure. they start, when they're ready to go, they're ready to go. There is one thing I wanted to say on the underbites. Um, I, I would like to ha- ha- give you an assignment. Look up on... Google, all you have to do is is type in underbite and then some species like um, in, in, any uh, any grazing animal species or children. Underbite, children, images. Those, so, or underbite, uh, uh, domestic goats, images. Underbite, cattle, images. Uh, and Google will come up with uh, all kinds, or underbite horse foals images. Uh, and don't don't look at the children. Don't look at the children with underbite right before you eat, because you won't be able to eat. Um, yeah. No, no. I want to know who told you that all of my children had a serious underbite. I really would like to know who told you. Nobody told me that anybody's children had an underbite. I just looked it up on the Google. And my children don't. I'm pulling you like. The um, yeah. okay now, and, and I have a request for you. Being you don't work for anybody, and so you're not dependent on anybody for anything. Uh, we've been trying to get Stephanie on our show for how long, John? Two years. Yeah, at least that. Yeah, and she knows we're nuts. And so, if I were her, I wouldn't come on. But you must be nuts because you came on. <laughs> well, I didn't know you were nuts. Oh. Well, I you know you don't have to confirm that. Me you know. that. No, oh, well, the, the, it, it, there's room. Rumor has it. <laughs> <laughs> you, sound, you, know, you, you sound pretty rational to me. Well, let's, let's carry the... There's, there's a certain amount of benefit to the rumor. That way they think I'm just nuts and they leave me off. 
but in the in the case of Dr. Seneff and Anthony Samso and Nancy Swanson, you know, these are people who are uh, really old enough that they shouldn't care. You're old enough that you shouldn't care. You know, Judy Hoy shouldn't care. You just shouldn't care. So why do you care? I shouldn't care about what? Uh, the planet. What? Well, what well, well, ah, difference does it make how old you are? Was it? I, I have I have been rehabbing wildlife for forty for over forty five years, and I will consider myself a total failure if they all go extinct. That's why I care. Okay, that's a, that's an excellent answer. I'm sorry, that's an excellent answer, uh, and because a lot of them have gone extinct. Um, you know, and, uh, yes, they are, and they're, oh, a yeah. lot of them are going extinct really fast. Um, underbite, by the way, underbite on grazing animals is far more deadly to the grazing animal individual than having a malformed genitalia. Malformed genitalia doesn't keep them from eating and uh, and surviving the winter uh, in really bad conditions, et cetera. Yeah. You know, we we don't think that uh, about an animal that has four legs and his head's close enough to the ground that he can tear up grass out of the snow, like horses do, and like cows do, and like goats do. And but if they can't chew the the grasses that they get out of the snow, then those grasses go all the way to their end of their little pooper part and come out as grass. They didn't digest any of it. You know, I talked to a lady and I said, look, you know, it's a hundred. You have to chew your food a hundred times per day. And she said, do you do that? And I said, no, I'm a boy. Well, I'm stupid. I don't know how to do that stuff. You're a girl. You should know that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's hard well, well, that's actually, a... it's not the chewing part. The, the, uh, on the grazing animals, it's not the, they don't have any trouble chewing. What they have trouble doing is biting off the foliage because it slides be uh, out of their mouth between the lower incisors and the dental pad, and yeah. their dental their incisors are supposed to contact the dental pad, so it pinches <laughs> off the foliage. But it doesn't. It slides out and it wears their teeth all out in front, and then they are in big trouble. Judy, well, could you please define underbite? Because I'm not familiar. With, I'm familiar with an overbite where the top uh, bridge over uh, protrudes over the lower. Do I assume the lower protrudes underneath the uppers? Is that what underbite yeah, is? Yeah. That's, well, that's yeah, more. but on, on a grazing animal, they have a dental pad on the top. They do not have any uh, incisors. They don't have any teeth in front. They have lower incisors, which are supposed to contact the front of the dental pad. And uh, the reason that they have an underbite, which means that the lower uh, incisors are way in front of the dental pad, Right, okay. Um, the reason they have the underbite is because the premaxillary bone, the, the dental pad, is, and the, uh, the dental pad is on the front of the premaxillary bone, and the premaxillary bone is underdeveloped. So if uh, you give us uh, organic sulfur, uh, according to Patrick, that makes their uh, um, premaxillary bone grow to normal. If I give them homeopathic cell salt, uh, called uh, one called CalPlus 30X, which makes it simply 
less homeopathic cell salts are just electrolytes, and they make the calcium go where it belongs, and that kickstarts the underdeveloped premaxillary bone to start growing, and in 13 days on a newborn deer or calf or horse, uh, it works on little kids, too. I just don't know how long it takes because I don't have kids. Um, but uh, I know it works, but it doesn't, I don't know how long it takes. It, it kick-starts the bone to, to grow again, and then the animal ends up with a normal bite if that's what they're genetically programmed to have. Yeah, uh, we have one example uh, of an autistic child whose teeth were sort of array, or awry, sort of pointing all over the place. And uh, and so within a you know three month period after she had awakened her mother with good morning mommy after not saying a word for a year, her teeth were all straight. That's in it. that's because of the sulfur. Yes. I well, but I know that now. But if Judy hadn't come on the show, I would you know I would have figured it was just people with funny teeth. Oh well, Judy, do you give your uh, recuperating animals uh, MSM? Uh... Or the sulfur? Um, well, I haven't been giving them MSM to make their faces grow to normal because the calc floss does it really fast. Like on a baby bird, if they have an underbite, uh, in two days they have a normal bite if I give them uh, calc floss. Uh, if I give a baby deer calc floss, then it, uh, I just put it in its milk for every feeding, and in 13 days, in other words, two weeks, it has a normal bite, even when they have a really bad underbite. I have before and after photos of that, too. Now, now you don't have a website, though, do you? Nope. Okay, and, and you know, if someone is interested in uh, learning more about the cell salts that you're talking about, how would they get a hold of you if you wanted them to get a hold of you? Well, if um, they... Well, they actually don't have to get a hold of me. All they have to do is go to the store and buy CalCloss 30X and give it to whatever has an underbite as long as they're still growing. The the animal still has to, has to be young enough that it's still growing. Um, yeah. Otherwise, oh. the CalCloss, the, the, the uh, bone doesn't grow anymore. But if, as long as yeah. they're still growing, then it still works. On a child, they grow different than the animals, so it worked just fine on a three-year-old girl, and she had a perfect bite. Uh, okay. She had a 3 inch underbite. Her whole upper face and her skull were underdeveloped, and her mom brought me three baby bluebirds with underbite, and she wanted to know if I could fix that, and I said, told her yes, and she took out a pencil and paper and took all kinds of notes and asked all kinds of questions, and uh, where to get the, what I used, where to get it, et cetera, and if it worked on mammals, et cetera. And then she told me to come to the car and look at her daughter, and her daughter was really ugly, and she had <laughs> this horrible underbite. And her whole upper face, like I said, was underdeveloped, including the skull. And if your skull is underdeveloped, obviously the brain's not going to grow uh, to normal. So I could see why she was really reaching for anything. Uh, yeah. because she was really pretty, and her kid was really ugly, and mothers don't like ugly <laughs> girls. Something have, something about I'm, mothers that yeah, trains I'm that gonna, way. I'm, I'm going to interrupt Any, you. At any rate, she brought me a hurt robin two years later, and the, and the girl was prettier than the mom, and I couldn't believe it, but it was the same girl. 
Exactly. You know, uh, and she had a perfect bite. Yeah, no boy is born bad was the uh, slogan of Boys Town. And no child's biology is born bad. But the same thing we're doing to the animals that Joy sees on the highway, we're doing ourselves. When we go into the store and we buy stuff in boxes. You know, if you think that this is becoming an anti-Montano ad or something like that, it is. If you have stock in the stock market and it says Montana on it, sell it now before you lose your testicles. <laughs> your testicles are still there. They're just not in the right place. Well, and, you know, if, if you have and they Montana don't stock, and they don't produce viable sperm. You do that, know that yeah. when you yeah. spray Roundup, I always joke every time I see a Roundup ad. The guy's standing there and he's bragging about how what a big uh, hot shot he is. Because yeah, he can yeah. kill those weeds dead, and I keep going, well, that's not the only thing you killed dead, you idiots. Because yeah. it kills 70% <laughs> of your sperm instantly. And it takes several weeks for it to grow back, of course. Yikes. And, you know, and uh, according to Stephanie, there are certain aspects of the shikimut pathway that don't really develop after that. They stay broken. Well, that's, that's, I, I believe that. Yeah, and, see, and I don't even know. I don't, I've, I've never been down a shikimate pathway, so I don't even know what it is. But if, <laughs> if Stephanie says it's bad, then I think it's bad. Patrick, could this be part of the depopulation program that the powers to be are in, employing now? Agent tw- <laughs> Sounds like it to me. Agenda 22 and a half? Yeah, t- yeah 21, don't forget. Started just, as 21, now it's 22 and a half, you know. Because one, they just hey, they forgot to take away our guns. They just forgot. I thought it was oh. Agenda Six Six Six. Well, that's good. the biblical. I, yeah, well, that's twenty two and a half. You know, that's two two two. Um, the but fortunately, Tipper Gore gave us the internet. <laughs> fortunately, we uh. can communicate with each other <laughs> with only a few NSA agents listening, and and they're and some of them are taking selfies, so it's okay. And we've got CIA agents taking sulfur, and we've got FBI agents taking sulfur. You know, and enough of us start taking sulfur, and we will learn more no more. We will learn how to remind the nice animals to stay off the damn road when we're driving too fast. <laughs> we will send out a, a, a force field that says, oh, yeah, I'm coming, stay off the road, I'm coming, stay off the road, stay off the road, stay off the road. <laughs> you know, they well, did it with friends. Stephanie also says that glyphosate totally disrupts the uh, sulfur uh, metabolism. And and I would agree, but it was interesting that those people uh, who had um, disabilities, inability to walk because of Agent Orange from Vietnam, and these are both Vietnamese and U.S. Uh, servicemen, you know, because of a fellow from Incognitive who got a hold of some Vietnamese who had the same problem, their feet didn't work. You know, they had crutches or they had a wheelchair. Okay, well, uh, eight of those in Vietnam and eight of those in the United States are walking without aid of anything. Now, these are way past maturation. So, you know, it, this has got to be something that's occurring in this age, this many 70-year-old body of these, you know, veterans. Age, just so old. Oh, so old. Stump's 93. Um, you know, and, and 
if he can regenerate something, and our 104-year-old can regenerate something, and, and if John would stop hanging around with these bison with the funny testicles, you know, we all could regenerate something. <laughs> I haven't found anything that makes the scrotum grow to normal, to be normal. The testes are there, and they're normal, but the scrotum is not there, and it's sometimes really short, sometimes not there at all, sometimes only half there, or sometimes the left half in front of the right. All of those things are now, uh, and, and the left half in front of the right is now at about 70%, like I said. That's the fastest um, change, uh, well, uh, uh, the fastest evolution of a body part I've ever observed. It's been well, in just 20 years that yeah, most no, hang on, hang on, of the animals hang on, hang on. now have these different yeah. shaped scrotums. Right. Now, you, uh, you know... Even yeah, dogs you, do. Yeah, you and I have discussed uh, Tyrone Haynes from right. Stanford or Berkeley or whatever and uh, and what's going on with the, uh, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the frogs. You know, the, the frogs are are buying flowers for other boy frogs. And, uh, you know, uh, they 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 get the they they uh, develop uh, egg de- the yeah. ability to produce egg uh, to to produce eggs like a female. Right, right. So, and, sort of like and, a hermaphrodite. Yeah, now that's Agent Twenty One. There now, there's an ag- ag- Agenda Twenty One <laughs> thing right up the bat. But this, you know the the thing the the reason I bring it up I think if I remember exactly why I brought it up this is a long time ago. Um, frogs are people too. Bison are people. Deer are people. Bear are people. Wolves are people. Coyotes are people. Fox are people. Eagles are people. But for some reason we think we're the only people. And you know Judy's comment of why she no, does what not. she does. <laughs> Go ahead. I said. I said, no, all, all animals are, in, I don't call them people, I call them individuals, and they have the same abilities as we do. They can think, reason, feel, uh, et cetera. I now had a darling yeah. that talked English to me. Yeah, now and I remember. Now, I, know, now, I know, but you see, that's just, you just bragging. But when I, when I first spoke to you on the phone, you, you had a problem with a squirrel. The squirrel didn't want you on the phone, and so the squirrel was getting in your face because it didn't want you on the on the phone. It wanted you to to pay attention to the squirrel. Is that not true? Well, yeah, she's she's a little um, pushy. Her name, is, her name is Squirrely, and and she's a little squirrely. <laughs> the uh, we just don't speak their language. I don't speak well, uh, Japanese. I don't speak. Chinese or, or Spanish, you know, we don't speak the. I mean, where's Doctor Doolittle when we need him the most? Well, you can you can actually communicate very well with with animals, uh, but you don't have to speak. You can form pictures in your mind and send them to the animal, and then they get the idea, and then they do it. And they're way smarter than I am because I can't get pictures back from them, but they can send pictures just like just as well. And lots of people that I know can get the pictures back from the animals, so they know what the animals are talking about or saying 
or showing them, but I'm not smart enough to get the pictures back. I can send pictures, but I can't get them back. I know someone who can do that, yeah. Yeah, get them back. Yeah, Mary Brennan, amazing, a vet in Atlanta, Georgia. I I know quite a few people who can actually communicate with animals, but they don't actually talk to them. They send and receive pictures. Patrick Flanagan, who fell down and hurt himself. Um, well, that, uh, I'd like to interject a comment. Uh, okay, please. Hey, uh, have you uh, ever considered the interlocking uh, different scientific disciplines? Well, I want to give you something to Google, but I want you to read very carefully and research further. Uh, it's the Shadow Pyramid. The Shadow Pyramid. Angel Fakiti, A-N-G-A-L-F-E-K-E-T-E. The really is made easy. Now, it may sound far-fetched, but when you read that and you analyze it, and go over it, you have to read it probably five, ten times, and then you'll have to research it some, but then you'll know why all these things are happening. And I mean way more than just the animals. Uh, Pottinger and uh, Price brought this up way back, oh, at least seven years ago, with the dead cats, you know, cats that eat uh, artificial food, they die young and they have deformed progeny and they won't go past three generations. This is way back. All this has been demonstrated before, and it's not an accident. And we've had a string of millions of people dying all over the world, billions actually, and they're all tied together. And your different scientific disciplines all point in one direction. Yeah. People better wake up. They better well, wake up. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is, I think. The way is easy. Okay, Richard, I, I personally, not that my opinion counts, I personally think that all of the attention on science, I and mean, people who are serious about science, and then there are crooks. There, there are crooks. When she said that, that uh, some people talk to animals and animals talk to people, I yeah. know that to be a fact. I, I love this cat. Charlie, he died about uh, three months ago. And I know now why I was asking him he would do what I'd tell him. In other words, I was uh, thinking about what I wanted him to do, and that's what he probably picked up. Yeah, your your phone signal is a little garbled, Richard. But I've got that I've garbled too, but you know, uh-oh. Frank, Frank, if we sound garbled, it's your fault. Go on, help us here. No, it's it's, it's, it's just uh, Richard's uh, phone. Yeah, I can I can understand everyone else, but I don't understand okay. him. Right, kind of. Hang strange. on, we're, we'll we'll be back in five, and I Judy, stay with us if you can. Thank you. Mother Earth smiled again. Now the lilacs could bloom. Now the fields could go greener. The day that the rains came down, birds were born. Love was born. The young birds will grow. It's 
have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
welcome back. This is the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadioNetwork.com. Our guest tonight has been Judy Hoy. She's been kind enough to hang around for a while. And there are birds that need her care. I mean, they're, they're real, they're serious persons in the form of birds who need her care. And she's actually talking to us. So thank you very much, Judy. And, you know, I was thinking while the, well, the music was coming up that uh, your con- the conversation I had with your husband, I still find very, very interesting. What you have to say is interesting for anybody who has ears. What you have to say is interesting for anybody who has ears. Now, the question is, some of us don't have ears. They and don't have ears? Ears, we don't have ears. No, we can't hear we got, we, we got well, uh, President Obama has beautiful ears, big monstrous ears, and can't hear a damn thing. Uh, well, that, that, I actually never tried to get him to do anything about the birth defects, but I did try to get all of our senators and representatives to, but, um, I was going to say I am going to have to scurry off pretty quick because I have to go feed a bunch of critters. But That's you right. asked well, how to to get a hold of me. If you look up um, if you look up observations of Brachynathia superior in wild ruminants in western Montana, USA, um, that is our uh, study on underbite, and okay, it's on Google. <laughs> Hang on, hang on. You can't, you can't swear on radio. You can't swear like that. If you know, oh, okay. Like, yeah, the way I found you is I put in Judy Hoy. Yeah, you can just put in Judy Hoy and underbite yeah. and uh, deer, and our study will come up. But it is observations of Brachynathia superior and wild ruminants <laughs> in western Montana, USA, and. Uh, my email address is on there, so if they need to get hold of me to talk about um, fixing underbites, um, then I oh, guess they can do that, and, and, and they in, can also read the they can also read the study about the underbites. Exactly. Now you you are uh, part of an Audubon group of bird uh, repairs, sort of. And well. Well, no, the, the bird rehabbers, uh, they're separate from Audubon. Okay. But, I mean, are there, um, are, there, are there avian repair people in other states other than Montana? Oh, yeah. Well, there's re- wildlife rehabilitators all over the United States. Okay. Uh, you can type in wildlife rehabilitation and on Google and find rehab or uh, and, and the state, and, and the list will come up for each state usually. Okay. The, uh, you know, because sometimes we find a bird that's injured and we don't know what to do with it. Uh, well, one, I, well, here in our area, all you have to do is call the, the sheriff's office, uh, but not but not 911, just the sheriff's yeah, office. Right, yeah. And right. they have a list of the rehabbers and their numbers, so... Um, and they can, or they, or they tell the people to call me, and I have a list of the the local rehabbers and their numbers. So that's the way we do it here. I don't. You can, you can, uh, like I said, you can look up, you can write wildlife rehabber on Google and put in the state and the town that you're 
closest to, and uh, if there's a wildlife rehabilitator there, Google will tell you. Fantastic. Google tells now, you everything. Right. So we, we don't, you know, so the birds don't uh, uh, die of malnutrition. We'll let you go. And thank you very, very, very much for joining us tonight. And and before I let you go, and has anybody got a question for Judy? Uh, I, before we... I, I have a brief question if she's got a minute. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Judy, it's interesting. This pastor is kind of cute the way he said that these frog uh, male frogs are buying flowers for their male frog boyfriends. But that's a phenomenon uh, we see, obviously, in the human race. It's just burgeoning out of proportion. But do you see this in the uh, in the animal kingdom? I mean, in Vietnam, we had a homosexual monkeys. I mean, that was back in the mid-60s. But I haven't seen anything since. I mean, we have a lot of animals here. I don't see it with the animals. But do you see it? Uh, are you aware of any of it? Um, well, yeah, I, I see pretty much everything in the animals. I, I saw autism in the animals. Um, that was one reason why I uh, checked the autism rate in humans. And turns out that the autism rate in humans throughout the United States just absolutely matches the underbite rate in white-tailed deer in our county, which is very strange, except that they're both caused by disruption of calcium going to the certain part that's not working right it's the brain in the case of autism and it's the uh just not getting the calcium during development and it's the uh premaxillary bone in the case of the uh in the case of the uh, critters but uh or the little kid too <laughs> but if, sure, if sure. the little kid gets underbite but back to your question on the uh um what were what did you the homosexual nature <laughs> of animals went dead no uh, homosexual nature yeah, homosexual. Uh, actually, there were there were birth defects and there were homosexuals. As soon as a man invented, discovered, well, he didn't invent it, he discovered how to control fire. So you had fire in caves, fire in shelters, fire in wherever, and the women sat around the fire breathing all that toxic smoke, and they had... Uh, malformed babies occasionally from breathing all of those toxins. And they also uh, did lots of other things, like in Rome you had all kinds of lead, and et cetera, and they had a lot of homosexuals in Rome because of all of the toxins they got. Um, homosexuality is, uh, unless somebody just all of a sudden, I mean a person who is born completely normal, just decides to go out and see what it's like to to uh, be, say, a, a woman decides to see what it's like to be with another woman or man with a man. That that in those cases that's a choice. But in true homosexuality, that's the way the child is born, and that's because of endocrine disruption during development, and it seems to be getting worse and worse. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Uh, hello. Vaccine. Yeah, I, my my record player got stuck. <laughs> but truthful. You said you were saying vaccine. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. That's the whole problem. Yeah. yeah. Hey, when you when you fertilize yeah, when you fertilize the ground, you're vaccinating the ground. When you inject poisons into children, you're vaccinating the children. Both have adverse effects. But because the money's so good, we put up with it. And the only way we're going to see the money is not so good is if we bankrupt all the chemical companies, all the chemical companies, 
and, and we bankrupt all the pharmaceutical companies, and we get healthy. You know, uh, Judy, you know, Judy's a healthy person. She, you know, runs around and kicks dead animals and stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and she's like got seven decades. You know, Stump's got nine decades. I'm approaching seven decades. John's got seven decades. Adam's got so many decades we didn't even discuss it. And, uh, you know, but all of the people in our study who haven't been run over and aren't roadkilled, none of that, none of that's happened. They're all looking way down the road. They're not looking around the corner. They're looking way down the road. They're looking decades down the road. They're planning 30 years down the road. Can you imagine 80-year-olds planning 30 years down the road? Because that's what they're doing. If, if we're allowed bad to, news for them. If we like, keep killing all the animals, all the humans are going to go extinct, no matter how long they plan to live. Exactly. Well, that's a, I think that's an excellent point. And, uh, any, you know, of, of our 45 million listeners, or that's what Doc Mike used to say, um, they need to understand that, you know. It's all a balance. Whoever caused this to happen sort of created even the cockroaches. They all have a job, and killing everything isn't the best way to address their job. Because and they can't do their job if they're dead. Exactly, and they can't do us any good in the study if they're dead. That's why we have to, you know, swear they won't die. How many have you killed, Patrick, in the study of these couple hundred thousand members? Uh, Five hundred thousand, none, zero, zip. So, and uh, no, just for Judy's edification, just for Judy's edification, not only Judy do we have in the study five hundred cancer uh, study members are well, but we have our claim to fame one hundred and four NK stage five. You're going to die tonight or tomorrow. Still living, just from the sulfur. That's great. Yeah, I think that's outstanding, and people should recognize that and, and question it and say, "What the hell's going on here?" Well, you know, if, if Judy hasn't really heard all that much about sulfur, even though she has, but if she, you know, she has for another reason, she was thinking of somebody other than herself. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, when you're thinking about somebody other than yourself, you often can come upon the answer. If you're only stuck in your own silly self, you'll never come up with the answer. If you don't take the time to observe, you'll be seeing your navel over and over and over and over again. And that's what's the trouble with all those guys that can't see anything. <laughs> now you now you got it. I mean, <clears throat> our 80-year-olds tell us that organic sulfur makes girls beautiful no matter their age and their men less stupid. Well, I, I thought they were going blind, but... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... You, so you're not mad at us for making you late. Go on, hang up, get out of here. Thank you very, very much. Well, uh, thank you for having me on, and uh, and uh, and keep it in mind that if we don't save all the animals, we go down with them. I agree. I agree. And so uh, keep your eye on the prize here. Right. Well, and you know, um, even that moth that's in your kitchen on the window. Is there for a reason? 
you know, the aunt that invited himself into your, into your living room, you know, he's there for a reason. You know, you can always escort him out, you know, show him where the door is. Uh, we, we've got, we need to stop this killing mentality. Bill Gates Sr. and Bill Gates Jr. are not correct. There are not too many people. You know, this, this planet can support considerably more people than it does, but we just have to, you know, talk to the planet and find out where the planet wants us and where we can grow food. Because you can't grow well, food speaking, on top. Speaking of getting rid of people, are any of you aware that studies show that about 5 million people a year die of chemical exposure? Hmm. Oh, yeah. we, we didn't know. I didn't know those numbers. I was aware of uh, when I worked at the medical center. I, I forgot to tell you. When I, when I worked at the medical center, I was the manager of the operating room. And the plastic surgeons would come and request for me to make a silastic testicle approximately this big. So I would fashion a silastic testicle approximately this big. But what I realized and what one of the plastic surgeons had also realized, because they'd done a lot of these, is in normal men, one always hung low. You know, you see in these animals, uh, in front of and in back of and you know, in, in the male population, because when we go shower, we notice one always hung low. I don't know what that means. I'm not a bison file. Well, uh, actually... Hanging down too far is better than not as than being really short and up against the body wall. But at any rate, <laughs> I've got to scurry off into the sunset and uh, um, and feed a bunch of critters and uh, quit bugging you guys. <laughs> okay. You can you can come back and bug us anytime you want. Anytime you want, you want. Oh, thank you. There is one thing I wanted to mention. Nobody, you okay. keep talking about Agent Orange. Did any yeah. of you ever hear of Agent White? Yes, and blue and pink and green and purple actually exist. Yeah, but Agent White is 2,4-D and Picloram combined, and it was sprayed everywhere that Agent Orange was sprayed because Agent Orange didn't defoliate well enough. And Picloram and 2,4-D, any time I have gotten a bird or baby goats that were exposed to 2,4-D and Picloram, perfectly normal little critters within five days would have an underbite after being exposed to those two. Wow. Really? Oh. And no, that's, that's after that's, they're born. Yeah. That, and that's that's a birth defect that happens after they're born is pretty amazing as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's also neurological. Mm. I mean, when that occurs, that's neurological. And and what you well, described... Well, their upper face just stops growing. Well, if your nerves weren't talking to the rest of your body or your brain, you'd probably yeah, stop growing too. Wow. Right, but 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 most people don't realize what these chemicals can do. I mean, it's totally off the wall, amazing. Yeah. And with that, yeah. I'm going to scurry off into the sunset. Thank you very much. You're Thank very, you. very welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That only commands Joe become vertical pronounced. We can't hear a word. I, yes, I couldn't understand what he said. No, but thank you, and goodbye. All right, Judy. Bye-bye. Thank you.
Now, I have, I, have a, I have an unplayed plug. Some people who are in a study actually smoke cigarettes or cigars. And if you want a really, really good cigar, you contact Robertson's Coffee and Cigars and Tobacco on Highland Drive in Salt Lake. And you, and you can contact Jill at this Robertson's Cigar and Coffee. And they sell organic sulfur amongst all of these coffee and tobacco things. And these vapor things, they, these people are vaping themselves. And, uh, you know, now why would they do that? Well, because they, they like return customers. And if your customers die, they don't come back. <laughs> Good thinking. That's Robertson's Tobacco, Coffee and Tobacco on Highland Drive in Salt Lake City, Utah. You give them, just ring them up and order a cigar or two. And they have some very expensive, probably illegal cigars. We won't discuss the illegal part. <laughs> and good Cuban is always good. You know, Patrick, well, Cuban, you're, yeah. talk, you're, you're talking about cigars and cigarettes and smoke. It's interesting what Judy mentioned there about the, uh, you know, the Indians breathing all that smoke and having, uh, you know, malformed babies. Um, I never knew a connection from that. It's interesting. Well, I, most, you know, most of the time, I didn't ever find oral histories of malformed babies among the Cherokee either. Uh, you know, that's sort of interesting history to find because most Indian tribes are all oral history. They didn't write anything down, even though the Cherokee had, uh, you know, a language, a written language. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're talking to someone who actually uh, cuts up dead roadkill, you know, we really can't ask Judy how she knows this. She's been around long enough. I don't think there are that many tribes, but... You know, maybe she's going out and visiting the tribes and getting these funny babies and doing that, too. You know, somewhere along the line, that happened. You know, Florence Nightingale was a nurse, and there were guys who just liked to cut up dead bodies. You know, we don't really like to talk about what they may have done with the dead bodies, because some of them were really weird. But, you know, it's, it's what you learn if you, if you sort of cut away just like when we go mining for minerals. What do you find out when you cut away at the body of man? Well, hopefully you find enough that allows him to continue living. But, you know, the nature of surgery in the world is that a lot of the people don't survive. You know, they become uh, animal fodder. Or they go into a box in the ground. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you just mentioned Florence Nightingale. It reminds me that... That's where coffee enemas began, because back, uh, she was a, a British nurse in the War of Crimea against the Russians, and the English lines were severed, and mm-hmm. they couldn't get morphine, and they were given morphine enemas, as I understood it. And morphine looks like coffee, you know, the color, brown. And uh, so she said, hey, as a placebo, let's, let's use coffee. So they started using coffee, and then when the lines opened and the morphine was reintroduced, the uh, they yeah, noticed the difference. It wasn't as as effective, and the, and the, yeah. and the uh, patients were saying, "What's going on?" That's the yeah. origins of coffee enemas. Okay, now let me now. Can I can I just whisper this in your ear? I'm listening. Coffee, I have coffee. ears, by the way. <laughs> thank, thank God. Yeah. The uh, coffee is a bean, and all the beans, all the legumes, you know, doesn't matter where they happen in the ground or in the trees, they're very very high in sulfur. You know, flaxseed, sulfur. There's only 24 minutes. Bye. We gotta get. We gotta get you a new phone, Richard. We can't hear you. You sound. You sounded like the, the beast from within, or from beneath. Tap the receiver. Maybe that'll work. 
Oh, oh, no, exactly. What you do is you uh, you take the plug out of the end of the phone or you take the plug out of the end of the base station and you take a, a rubber eraser and you clean it and you stick it back in and it clears up the signal. I learned that a long time ago. But it may not work what I just said because I was a phone man back in the 60s. <laughs> oh, so that's... Things have changed. <laughs> yeah, you're the guy they wrote all those books about. I'm the phone man. <laughs> Uh, can I give you some candy? <laughs> now I know why you've been married five times. Hey, by the way, you're, jun- you're junior, Adam. Uh, was your, I guess your father's had the same name. Just saying for Bergstrom, but my brother got Dennis Arthur. How did he end up with an English name? <laughs> well, you're going to have to ask your mom. You could have given me one English name to work with. <laughs> Well, ask your mom. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> My mom is not here. Well, then you're gonna, have, you know, then you're gonna have to visit a soothsayer, and they'll go cross the void and ask your mom that way. Uh-huh. No, you're not. No, it's 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 still raspy. It's a little bit better, but it's, uh, I heard to hear hear me now. Hmm. Uh, a little bit better. Yeah, uh, we will. We will. We'll we'll discuss it. We'll have a, a tech. Meeting that uh, you know tomorrow when it's when it's light. Hmm. Now the, I, I, this we can get. Did you enjoy our guest? Very oh, much. She was, yeah, she was good. Yeah, Oh yeah, that's. I've never heard of people speaking and animals picking it up. Like the Yeah, we didn't hear a word of that. Was it? No, Richard, you not you've a, got a real problem. Not a, not a word. Uh, well, Judy, I mean, I, but Patrick, what came across for me is, uh, yeah, she's intelligent, and knowledgeable, but she's very, she's got a big heart. I mean, for her to do what she's doing with the animals, and I, you, you know, I don't know if there's any pay there, but um, you know, this is a beautiful thing. And uh, but it's interesting her observations. I mean, this just blows me away. Oh, very personable. That came across, Richard. Yeah, she she yeah. was. What's her name again? Judy Hoy, H-O-Y. She's oh, married to a guy funny. named Hoy. And she lives in Montana. H-O-Y. Henry Oliver Yellow. Oh, it sounds like you weren't in the military. <laughs> You're back. Yeah, I mean, why? <laughs> it becomes apparent, doesn't it? Yeah. Echo. Echo. No. Uh, uh, Allegheny. How about that? Oh, he's Allegheny. Um, I, I, well, you're not. You're, you're, I'm gonna have to ask you to say little because you're not coming across. I want to thank you for joining us tonight, Richard. Thank you for joining me and Richard, Herman and John and Adam. And I, I want to thank John and Adam for joining as well. The, uh, you know, the question and the and the interplay is exactly what I was discussing about. How did these three girls meet? And on that, note, on that note, we'll see you next week. Thank you. And maybe Dr. Santa will be on with us next week. We'll try to get well, you later. So. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Good night, everyone. Au revoir. Blue skies and green lights. There you go.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
Good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here. All right. I am having a problem with my uh, sound on this mic. Let's see. All right. Let's see if that's working at all a little bit. I guess it is a little bit better, but something is seriously uh, wrong over here. And I'm not sure what. Let's try something. Hang have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore, your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. All right, let's see if that's working. Are we getting anything there? Well, we're getting a little bit of something there, I guess. Well, we'll just have to see if we can't get through with this. I don't I don't get it, man. Uh, let's see. Let me go check the chat room here. As a matter of fact, it's July 9, 2015. It's Thursday, and we can... Uh, oh, it's about... Uh, Eight twelve and a half. Now let's check the chat room and see if anybody in here uh, can tell me what the sound is like. Because I, what I'm seeing on my my uh, little deals here, you know, the bars and all that, I'm not seeing anything good. Uh, but uh. Yeah, uh, we need uh, just need to be a little more specific in the chat room. Like, what are we exactly hearing? Because I'm, I can't, I can't tell. All right, I can't tell. 
Overmodulated. Okay, great. Well, let's see. What about now? Is it any better now? 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 How about now? Any better now? And it's loud enough. Well, something's seriously wrong here, and I don't know what, and I don't know how it went wrong, but it is. So uh, I don't even know if I'm going to do a show because uh, I'm not getting a recording out of this. So uh, we'll just go to something else. We'll do, uh, I'm going to do a replay, and I'll start it out uh, here at the correct time so it, uh, so it starts right because uh, there's no point in this. Sorry, but I can't figure things out on the run like this, so we'll just have to try to uh, get something else here. As soon as I find something else here, that is, which I'm working on, and uh, dun, 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 dun. All right, let's see here. What do we have? Well, what we will have is a show from uh, June 22nd, 2004. And uh, that will be coming on here in just a minute. As soon as I get the uh, timing right on it, so it ends when it's supposed to end at least. Or thereabouts all right so here it comes folks sorry about that but uh i'll see if i can fix it and uh if i can maybe i'll be back if i can't then i won't let's see regulation it says the ruling stops short of allowing police to demand identification like driver's licenses but justice john paul stevens said requiring people to divulge their names still goes too far so Paul Stevens, John Paul Stevens says that a name can provide the key to a broad array of information about the person, particularly in the hands of a police officer with access to a range of law enforcement databases, he wrote in a, a, in a dissent. And right. Justices David H. Souter, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Stephen Breyer also disagreed with the ruling. Well, you know, and the thing is, this is where people need, you know, the Supreme Court comes down with rulings that, uh, are, are, you know, if everyone out there knew the law, if everyone out there knew their rights, if everyone out there knew the statutes, wouldn't be so bad. And, and this is how they're ruling this, with a knowledge of the law far superior to most people in this country. They're making these rulings. And they have no idea. They are so out of touch with everyday goings-on on the street that, that they're, they're bad rulings when, when applied generally, because the fact of the matter is, I don't care about giving a cop my name. Fine, here's my name, but you better not, oh, guess what, officer, by the statute, okay? And I don't have it memorized right here, but you can bet I dig it up quick enough to put it in court papers. By the statute, you are only allowed, if you pulled me over for a violation, which most of the time that's the precursor why they pull you over. They don't pull you over for a crime 90% of the time. Okay, they did not witness a crime 90% of the time. What they claim they witnessed was a violation. Now, under the statute, at least in Oregon, and you know all the states are paramaterial to the others, pretty much, 
especially when it comes to transportation because they have all these kind of treaties between themselves, compacts they call them. But the thing is, if you know this, it's fine. They, in the statute, they have a right to identify you, all right? But they do not, see, part of identifying you is, okay, what's your name? Where do you live? Fine, here you go. I don't care if you know that. Now, write your ticket and be on your way. Oh, but they don't stop there, do they? Even though the statute clearly states that they are allowed to identify you, okay? They give them that right. So, yeah, that also, uh, you know, leads a cop at least to believe that if you don't give that, he has the right to arrest you. And yeah, most people are familiar with, yeah, 72 hours to identify you in jail, well, you're absolutely right in terms of the fact that it, it is uh, well known among people in jurisprudence that there's at least 21 states right now, or actually prior to yesterday, that are, had already given police the right to ask people their name and jail those who, who didn't cooperate sure. before this omnibus Supreme Court ruling caused it to be effective uh, immediately in all 50 states. Yeah, well, that's you see, that's a conception, too, because... You know, how is federal law even, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't apply in all 50 states. It applies in federal territories and for federal citizens. You know, yes, so if, if the truth be known, but there again, people have to be educated to understand about that federal zone. Frank, or they assume that that jurisdiction is okay. like a blanket that covers all the territories sure. and states of the United if States. If the Supreme Court says so, then it's true everywhere. Well, that's just not true. But, well, again, people are ignorant. But the thing is... Okay, so they're allowed to identify you. They're allowed also to cre uh, conduct any investigation reasonably related to the violation they pulled you over for. Like if they pulled you over for a, uh, uh, a you didn't put on your turn signal, they can, you know, whatever, you know, whatever sort of investigation they would do, uh, like, oh, gee, sir, why didn't you put on your uh, turn signal? Is your turn signal broken? Let's check it out. Uh, Tom, why don't you stay on the line, and we'll take a short break and come back, because this, right, this, this is a good subject. CEO Craig Smith says there are four major facts pushing gold prices higher. One, a dropping dollar, reducing our standard of living. Two, trillion dollar debt and deficits, living on borrowed time and money. Three, scandalous Wall Street behavior, fueling a confidence crisis. And number four, terrorist attacks adversely impacting economies and oil prices. Now, I'm no economist, but common sense tells me all this adds up to higher gold prices. Get informed and take action. Call my good friends at Swiss America to understand why gold is such a safe haven at 1-800-289-2646. That's 1-800-BUY-COIN. Ask for your free 2004 Gold Rush Kit for $25 value. That's 1-800-289-2646 or 1-800-BUY-COIN. the goodness of goji. Dr. Earl Mindell, the world's leading authority on nutrition, has just introduced a 2,000-year-old Himalayan secret to long life. 
goji juice. Dr. Mendel says this is the biggest health breakthrough in 40 years, backed by scientific research, and when checked under the microscope, it was found the goji berry could very well be the most nutritionally dense food on Earth. This goji berry has been made into a delicious, all-natural juice, not pasteurized and never heated. So give your body a real treat, a real food. Comes with a 90-day money-pack guarantee. To place an order or request free information, call 877-888-4777. That's 877-888-4777. Also listen to the Inside View on Health every Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on the American Voice Radio Network. No, no, no. That's the wrong music. What kind of monkey we got running this board here anyway? Jeez, dummy. Anyhow, this is the Frank Report. It's just the wrong music. Uh, you know, we have the in music, the middle music, and the out music. Uh, apparently, uh, our board operator is an idiot. Oops, wait a minute. I resemble that remark. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, we uh, we do have a caller, Tom. Are you still there? To air is human, Frank. And are, are you give yourself as divine? Are you too <laughs> Are you too embarrassed to still be on? The oh, uh, absolutely not. I'm honored. <laughs> I truly mean that. too serious here. While I'm laughing, I'll say I'm honored and privileged to be on your program. And I was going to mention to you while I go in this present ruling that's now affecting us as of yesterday that you have to speak or you will be arrested when a police officer approaches you. I mean, give your identity. Right. You just can't be silent. Um, interesting enough, there's two primary sources of thought on this. One is from uh, the Criminal Justice Legal Foundation, one of their scholars, Charles Hobson's thinking is is that since we're under this constant danger of renewed terrorist activity, is placing such enormous pressure on law enforcement to identify suspected terrorists before they strike, that this will be a good thing. But now Tim Lynch, who's and that's uh, the, you the see, think that, tank, uh, but that's what terrorists are going to do. But they're, of course they're going to do. It's the old thing about when when only uh, uh, people when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have. Guns. Oh, my name is Jawala Atta, and I'm a terrorist officer. Can I go now? That's exactly what they're going to say. What a bunch of idiots to, to figure that this is going to... Uh, see, this is why they're so disingenuous, and I, I mean, they're not even coming up with good lies anymore, which is really what disappoints me. I mean, if you're going to hire someone and pay them big money to lie to you, then, then they should at least be required to come up with good lies. At least believable lies. I mean, come on, at least something a high school teenager could come up with. You know, these guys don't even try. And that's really the disappointment in this country, that the paid liars don't even do their jobs. Well, I have to agree with you, Frank. And, of course, the scriptures prophetically say in the last days that it's really going to kick in as far as because of disobedience to God's ways. The base, hello, out there in the listing audience, the base are going to rule over you when the wicked rule the nation. What? doesn't laugh, it cries, it mourns. This other attorney that's with the Libertarian Think Tank, Cato Institute, Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., his response was very, rather simply, says, the court ruled yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that the government can turn a person's silence into a criminal offense. Right. I don't know if, uh, you see, that's the whole thing. I don't know if you don't speak that it's a crime. 
I mean, is it? He was charged with a misdemeanor of not talking? That's correct. Okay. Went all the way to a writ of satertiary, and the Supreme Court chose to, to see it uh, because of the climate of terrorism that's afoot today is apparently the fundamental rationale because of the clamoring of law enforcement agencies or read the U.S. Justice Department, read John Ashcroft, among others. Yeah, read uh, uh, Papa Bush. Uh, yeah. You could go right on to there, of course. Well, the thing is, you see, now, let's look at the law, because, all right, the Supreme Court is way outside the law here, but, now, let's say you get pulled over, fine, uh, you know, I didn't have, uh, you know, didn't use my turn signal, whatever. Uh, so, my name's this, and I live here, and, uh, okay, so, uh, why didn't you do this? Well, I spoken. Oh, okay, so I've investigated, I've conducted a reasonable investigation, okay, reasonably related to the reason I pulled you over. I found out why you didn't use your turn signal, because it's broken through my investigation. The violation I pulled you over for was not using your turn signal. You know, the Supreme Court, you see, they also have a ruling. Uh, I forget which one it is, but the argument went like this. Is a guy got pulled over for a minor violation, all right? And the cops searched his car and found a gun in the glove box. Well, of course, the government uh, argued that, well, in, in our reasonable investigation, we found this, this gun. And the Supreme Court asked the government, well, if that's the case, what further evidence of speeding did you expect to find in the glove box? Okay? And they ruled against the government in that particular case and set the guy free because they went over their, uh, their statutory authority to conduct a reasonable investigation, okay? A reasonable meaning, reasonable to the reason they pulled you over. Uh, you know, so, so you give him your name, he figures out why you didn't use it. Now he runs your name through their database and comes up with the fact, you don't have a driver's license, you don't have this, you don't have that, you got a bunch of tickets, and maybe you're a murderer, right? Well, fine. The thing is, and he's going to arrest you, you're going to jail. There's no two ways about it. But now that you're in jail and, uh, you know, now you have a chance to go to court, the question's going to arise, was that a reasonable investigation? And obviously it was not reasonably related to the reason they pulled you over. Remember, they pulled you over for not using your turn signal. What further evidence of not using your turn signal did they, did they think they were going to find in that database? Now, it's fine if they go in the database and say, well, okay, he said his name is this, and he says he lives here. Does he? Does a man that fits this description, is he on record of living there and having this name? Yes, he does. Fine, you are now identified. Any further information they glean from that communication is not a reasonable investigation, okay? And, but now, that sounds convoluted, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Frank. But it's the truth, and that's the way it goes, and that's the way the law is written. And if you know that, you at least have a chance to make in the war courts, I guarantee it. You may even lose in the appeals court. Okay? See, nobody, the thing people got to understand is nobody gets to the Supreme Court unless they've lost in every other court they went to. Which See, obviously this Larry Hibble had. Well, he had, and, and but, you know, other people prevail when they go to the Supreme right. Court that have lost in every other court. we got to take a break, Tom. You can hang on if you want to. All right, very good. All righty, so let's... No, 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 that's wrong, too. All right, there we go. 
The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Grandma used to say, Johnny, eat your greens. She knew something about health that we've mostly forgotten. Most of us get little or no greens daily. Four Spectrum Chlorella gives five times the chlorophyll of any plant on earth for cleansing inside out and 50 times more lutein than spinach for healthy eyes. All eight essential amino acids, over 60% high-grade protein, and numerous vitamins and minerals. The cracked cell wall absorbs toxins, even heavy metals, and flushes them out of your system. Four Spectrum Clean Green Superfood is a whole food concentrate with no negative side effects. 100% plant source dehydrated chlorella pressed into tablets using no binders, fillers, excipients, colorings, or other additives. One month supply, $35, two months only $60 postpaid. Read more at 4spectrum.us. That's number 4spectrum.us. Call 903-714-7767. That's 903-714-7767. Order today. This is the American Voice Radio Network. Broadcasting live on satellite at Galaxy 7, Transponder 12, Audio 8.1. We're on the Internet at AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can hear American Voice Radio 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. This is the Frank Report. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, Francis Stephan, and we have Tom on the line. We're talking about the uh, yesterday's Supreme Court ruling, apparently, that you can, uh, the cops can now make you tell them who you are or take you to jail. In other words, it's a misdemeanor now if you don't speak your name to the police. That's right, folks. America! Now, what we were just where we let off is I was going to in a little you know because this is this is a subject that I uh, uh, really know more about than I, I ever cared to, but it became a necessity to learn this stuff and and figure out the law of it. Uh, and and the thing is, you know, I don't view a lot of these things as badly as a lot of people do, but then again, it won't affect me as badly as it does a lot of people. You know, because I'm already out there with no driver license. You know, so I get pulled over. I got I got explaining to do, you know. So things are a little different for me. 
than your average individual who just, you know, they got all their papers in order. They're just like, what do you mean, who am I? I'm not telling you anything. Well, you're going to jail if you do that. But, uh, Tom, you pointed out, what, 21 states already had that. Is that right? That the ruling oh, stopped short <laughs> of allowing the police to demand identification, like, for instance, a driver license. There is this convoluted catch-22 that, now wait, they're still not going to have to require identification when they stop you on the public highways, which are not public. They're actually owned by private corporations. This is another trap that people need to understand, that they're not really free to drive, have freedom to travel on public roads. Your wife had a 14-page religious objection that I went through for two and a half or three weeks on the Secret Place program I do on the Christian Media Network. That's not a shameless plug. It's just a fact because it's the best thing, frankly, that I'd ever read, and it it speaks to much the same problem. Once you're arrested for uh, not giving any information about who you are, uh, that's one thing. But what if you tell them who you are? They still can say, well, you know, what does that prove that you... Uh, you know, said you're who you are. We need to have that. Well, excuse me, I said that in reverse. Once you're arrested, they can try to divulge who you are by some ways, fingerprints or otherwise, but what if you don't tell them who you are and they f- find out otherwise? Well, that's one thing, but what if you tell them who you are, give them your name, and they say, prove it? So then you have to come up with, you see how you were saying, well, I go one follows the other. I was just thinking this through on the break. Then you're going to have to somehow document that you're who you claim you are. Well, as soon as that goes through the courts in that manner, you will. But at this point right now, I don't think, you see, the thing is, if I tell a cop whatever I tell a cop, unless he has reasonable suspicion that I'm lying, he has to take what I'm saying as truth. He has no reason or authority to just assume I'm lying. What do you mean I'm lying? Who the heck are you to tell me I'm lying? What makes you believe I'm lying? And he better be able to articulate it in court. What made you think I was lying? And God forbid for him, if he, if you tell him who you are, and he says, well, prove it. I don't have to prove it. I just told you. That is proof. And he arrests you for not identifying yourself. And you go to court, and you ask him to articulate that reasonable suspicion that made him believe you were lying. There better be something. Because, see, that's been a consistent ruling through all the courts that cops aren't just allowed to act on hunches and and things of that nature, premonitions. They have to have an articulable, meaning they can speak it. They can explain it to me. What it was that gave rise to reasonable suspicion that this individual was lying or in, in whatever other case that whatever you think was going on was going on. What made you believe that? You better be able to tell the court or you have a problem as an officer. I know we already have all these conflicts going on about so-called racial profiling vis-a-vis reed-swarthy skinned people that are either Mexican or Arab and, or, well, that's a joke here in Texas, of course, because we have this super porous border that's being enhanced by the deal cut with Vincente Fox and our current President Bush. I was going to say real quick in closing, speaking for another sponsor, we've got sponsors on your show, but his name is Isaiah. Actually, it's God through Isaiah. And he talks about people that are functioning in a terrible fashion, that are causing people to come into scrutiny and be uh, caused to be an offender, just like people are called an offender when they're arrested. And it says in Isaiah 29, verse 20, 
This is what's coming for these people in the future, Frank. For the terrible one is brought to nothing, and the scorner is consumed. And all that watch for iniquity, wait, let's park there a second. That means they're just waiting to see if they can find something that, by their understanding, is iniquitous, is evil, is wrong. So they can arrest you. They can pull the strength power on you and keep you incarcerated or take your money and or your property. All that watch for iniquity are cut off. That do what in so doing? That make a man an offender for a word, just for a word, a wrong turn of word. You know how it is with these briefs and motions you file in the courts. Make a man an offender for a word and lay a snare for him that reproves in the gate. The gate's a public venue. That's exactly what this Larry Dudley Hibble was in with his daughter in some kind of uh, discussion or argument, rather, on a public, supposedly public road. But wait, it was under direct personal corporate authority and jurisdiction, the way this system works. And it goes on to say that cause people to be laid into a snare for them and those that are reproving in the gate and turn aside the just for a thing of naught, for nothing. This guy was arrested for nothing, Frank. Right. So I just, just thought I might mention that it's remarkably prescient what the prophet Isaiah millennia ago was saying of the descendants of God's people and what they would finally come to where you'd had this constant surveilling just to try to catch someone in, a, in something that's wrong and cause them to offend for just one word, they say. Right. And the thing is, you know, I mean, I believe everything in the Bible is on many levels. Indeed. Many, you know, parallel levels. And, and like, you know, uh, my people are lost for lack of knowledge, and that's a paraphrase, but it's pretty close. That's close. And the thing is, a lot of people figure, well, they mean biblical knowledge, which I believe that's true. Right. But I don't believe that's the only thing, way, reason it's true. People Absolutely not the only thing it is. And if you remember, Jesus said in Luke 16, upbraiding his disciples who he dearly loved and he was mentoring, he said, the children of this world are wiser in their own generation than the children of light. And there's people out there that don't have our Christian background, but they have at least done their homework, Frank, and find out where the uh, potholes are as far as entrapments tra with the government and how to at least have some reasonable allocutions and motions to deal with these rascals to at least tie them up in enough knots to where, in many cases, like with me, I, they've left me alone. It might be tomorrow I'll have some problem for 20 years a driver license or being involved with income tax or any of that out of the system virtually totally. But you have to work. There is, there is due right. diligence to study any of these things. I know that's something that's very deep on your heart to help people in. Well, yeah, it is. And, and the thing is, because people got to know this. And a lot of people have the idea, oh, the law is, is dirty and it's not something I want to know and I'm a Christian and I won't get involved in that. And, and you even have other folks going that, oh, you know, somehow suing and, and dealing with the court system is, is somehow unscriptural. And uh, sorry, it just ain't so. The thing is, what it's talking about is you don't sue your brothers because there's another another way to go about it. That's you know, right. uh, that's the only reason. But it doesn't say anything about those are your brothers. See, this is specific. This is your family. You don't sue your family. Well, duh. I mean, you don't get that. I mean, come on, folks. You don't sue your family. If you do, you are a scumbag. And, and that's just the way it is. And and sorry, you know. I mean, or you know, okay. There are situations where somebody in your family is the scumbag that you're suing because they're just, you know, there's no other way around it. And there's always another way around it, believe me. But 
the thing is, this is you got to understand the one thing, actually two things that are never taught in school. I mean, they fill these kids up seven, eight hours a day for what, twelve, fourteen years, and if you go to college, even longer with crap. And they don't even tell you, even if you go to four years of school, you don't learn the law, you don't learn anything about health, medicine, or anything of the sort. And what are the two things that affect every single day in your life? Well, the law does, folks. Every time you strap yourself into your little automobile and head on down the road, you're heading into a legal situation where at any minute you will be dealing with the law. Okay, and and same with medical. I mean, gosh, every breath you take, every cough you have, every headache you get, it's all health related. You don't know anything about it except the commercials of pharmaceuticals you can buy. So, for lack of knowledge, you're lost. And the thing is, you look at these, you know, a lot of folks, and and this is definitely a bad ruling. There's no way around. There's no way around it. It's a bad ruling, and they should really be held accountable in the strictest, strictest sense. And the U.S. Congress is going to be. A scrambling, according to the reports in the aftermath, to try to come up with some omnibus bill that will act as a, a buttress against the abuse of that. You see, you have a house divided against itself, which Jesus says can't stand. Yeah, that, that, and they're, they're just they're just irresponsible idiots on the Supreme Court, and that's come clear. I mean, now that if they came up with both these rulings in one day, they they just need to be taken to the woodshed on these whole things. I mean, first of all, they give HMOs complete power to just deny any kind of treatment, regardless of what your doctor says, and they cannot be held accountable for if you die. You know, oh, sorry, thanks for all those, uh, you know, thanks for all those premiums you've been paying, but we're not going to do anything, and oh, you died, too bad, your family can't even sue us now. Uh, that's just uh, reprehensible on the Supreme Court's, uh, you know, I, I just wait for the, the first person to lose his wife or children and can't get, can't get anything from, can't hold anybody responsible for it, and just lose his mind and, and decide to go pay the Supreme Court justices a little visit. You know, well, in terms of not trying to incite uh, someone to do violence, uh, the caveat might be we would hope and pray that it wouldn't come to that. But, you know, you want well, to raise a threshold beyond which people are so fed up with these imperious courts, Supreme Court clear on down to like the Massachusetts with their sodomitic atmosphere that's polluting the whole nation at this point. What is the threshold when at least without using guns someone will start a movement? And I'm not saying we're going to take the government back. I'm not of the that mind, nor are you, no doubt, but will at least exercise the constitutional remedy of impeachment of judges in whatever venue, including the U.S. Supreme Court itself. Now, How bad do they have to be in their draconian rulings before people say, I'm mad as, you know, and I'm not going, or we're not going to take it anymore? Well, that, that movie that you are uh, quoting from called Network, uh, Network yeah. With, uh, uh, wasn't it Finley or Finney that threw right, it? Charles, or whatever his name is. Yes. Threw his television out the window. That's, a, that's an act of violence. Yes. And, and I'll tell you, we're way beyond impeaching these people. We're way beyond voting them out of office. We're way beyond all that. I'm telling you, the only thing I can suggest to Americans right now is stop wasting your money on, uh, you know, driving down to the, to the voting ballot or, you know, registering to vote or listening to these morons to rock to vote like it really matters. Go down. 
get yourself, if you don't already have one, you better start exercising your Second Amendment rights while you still have them. Get yourself some guns, get yourself lots of ammunition, and learn how to safely use it and accurately use it. Exercise your existing rights to the full extent of the law as fast as you can, is all I can tell you or anybody out there that I see as any kind of you know, resolution to this. And, and you know, that's not going to fix it either. That's simply to protect yourself, okay? Because this whole uh, outhouse is about to go up in flames. I have some dear friends that, well, one of them is originally from Denmark. She's uh, married to a dear friend of mine, and her parents were in Denmark during World War II as children. But the Danes reached a point because they didn't exercise their what we call Second Amendment rights with guns that the Nazis, as you probably well know, moved in. But at least the king of Denmark had the integrity to stand out there in front of the Nazis and call a national workout. And so they simply brought the Nazis to their knees. By, of course, you won't see that in this country where people just say, you know what, for the next five to seven days, we're not going to run our SUVs. We're not going to go on the jobs. We've got some bottled water we've stored up, and we're not going to work. Hello, wake up, government. No, that won't, not to be cynical, that even as a nonviolent protest, which absolutely tied the Nazis in knots. And they shot a few people, but it absolutely derailed their oppression over Denmark, Frank. Yeah, well, it ain't going to happen, because Americans are cowards, they're lazy, they're fat, and they're stupid. I, I don't know how much more blunt I can be, but that's the nation... I wish you would hold back. I wish you'd really tell people what you're really thinking. Well, that's the nation we live in, and it's a sad, sorry, you know, thing, and, and you don't have to be that way. No, that's okay? true. People don't have to be that way, and that's the only reason I mention it. I mean, if it was a done deal and it's the way it is, uh, I wouldn't even be here. But the thing is, it doesn't have to be that way, and you don't have to be that way. I'm not telling people, oh, you better get on. I don't mean fat as in you're overweight. I mean fat in your attitude, okay? That's what I mean. You know, I know exactly what you mean. Years ago, I was producing a talk show out of Florida called the American Town Forum, and our slogan was get off your apathy because, you see, this apathy is a blanket, a malaise. It just hangs like a weather front. Yeah, it's like, 100, it's like 100 pounds of fat on you. You know, it, it's, that's what, what it is. The apathy is like you're 100 pounds overweight. And for you to do anything just is so hard, so struggle, it's just so tough. You know, and you know what it is. There's no two ways around it. It is. It's a tough fight every single day. It absolutely is. Frank, i got to go. It's been great to be on your show. I appreciate it. And you take up so much of the show's time. But I did think it was important enough to justify calling you about this. Well, that's okay, because I'm just going to take the rest of the show and do the, do the little, well, touch on the money thing that I was going to talk about. And it goes along the same lines as a... You know, I wonder why nobody's done a lawsuit, and I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. But thanks for okay. calling, Tom. Appreciate your time, Frank. All right. Bless you. So long. So long. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. All right. That's Tom, and he uh, brought up some good points. I wasn't aware of that. Hadn't checked the news today. Brought you the uh, HMO thing from yesterday. Apparently, the uh, treasonist traitors, the insurrectionists that sit on the Supreme Court have been busy. Now, the money issue is very similar to this. Obviously, you have a right to remain silent. That's the First Amendment. It's your right to speak. Well, the right to speak is the right not to speak, and apparently the Supreme Court has seen fit to take that away now because we're all scared of terrorism. So, what about the gold? What about that? It was an executive order. Now, H.R. 192 talks about gold. That's the law. But the thing is, the executive order that Roosevelt 
signed was the thing that made it, that gave the penalties. $10,000 fine, 10 years in prison. When we get back, we're going to uh, just analyze this really quickly in about five minutes and uh, wonder why nobody has ever brought it to the court. Or maybe they have. Maybe you know of a court case. Regardless, we'll be back in a few minutes, so stay tuned. The Inside View with Desert Owl, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. right here on American Voice Radio Network. Desert interviews the most interesting and controversial guests you will hear on radio and takes calls, too. Listen on Galaxy 11, Channel 12, Audio 8.10, on your big C-band satellite dish, and on the Internet at AmericanVoiceRadio.com or .net, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Whether you call it commercial redemption or accept it for value, The Commerce Game Exposed is the book that will help you understand this process. The fact is, there is no lawful money in circulation. The explanation and details as to how this happened are enlightening, and the instructions concerning what one can do with this information are detailed and easy to understand. Utilizing this process is not for everyone, but learning how lawful money has been turned into commercial debt instruments should be of concern to everyone. The Commerce Game Exposed book is a good tool to learn the commercial nature of the New World Order. To order The Commerce Game Exposed, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050. American Voice Radio Network has radio's regular guy, Roger Fredenberg. 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific Time, Monday through Friday. You can listen to Roger on C-Band Satellite at Galaxy 11, Channel 12, Audio 8.10, and on the Internet audio stream at www.americanvoiceradio.net. That's Roger Fredenberg, five days per week, right here on American Voice Radio. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan, and you're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. Now, we have another caller, so go ahead, caller. What's your name and where are you from? Uh, my name's Joe. I live over here in Idaho, Frank. Ah, hey, Joe from Idaho. That kind of yeah. got a ring to it. <laughs> so what's up in Idaho? Well, I was just listening to your conversation about, you know, this business about having to identify yourself. Right. And uh, I'd, I'd like to take it the other way for a minute. How about if, if you get pulled over and they can tell you who they're looking for? Right. You know, instead, instead of you answering all the questions, uh, they should be able to answer a simple question like, who are you looking for, and I'll tell you if I'm that person. Right. I mean, they're the ones that have the computers in their cars and the radios and all this, and they should be given all the information they need. Uh, for example, right off your license plate, providing you have one, and then uh, yeah, well, people will tell you who they're looking for. Yeah, how about even uh, who are you? 
Yeah, you know, yeah. how about that? Like, well, okay, I'll tell you who I am right after you tell me who you are. Yeah. Seeing as right. how you're initiating this conversation. Right, he pulled over to talk to you, so she, he should be able to, or at least at best, I would hope he know who's, knows who you are. Yeah, well, and, and you know, the thing is, it's like, how many people call you on the phone? You pick up your phone and somebody goes, who is this? Does that, that hardly ever happens. Right. But that's exactly what a cop is doing when he pulls you over. <laughs> yeah, who, who are he's, you? He's ringing your phone and say, asking you who you are. That's great. Uh, and, and, you know, so you go, well, uh, you know, I've had, I've, I've had people around here. They've gone to jail because they, they won't tell a cop who they are until he identifies himself. Yeah. Well, here's my badge number. No, I want to see some identification. I want to see from you exactly what you want to see from me. Right. Well, that's what I mean. And like I say, at least he should be able to tell you who he's looking for if he's looking for someone. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I've played a lot around. I listen to you guys talk here for a little bit. I don't know how much time you got left, but. Uh, about four minutes. About four minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not enough time to really cover anything. But, you know, people need to uh, sometimes turn the situation around and consider, uh, you know, what what's happening here as you're standing there, you know, being drilled. You could just well get out of your car or, or say, Would you punish me for exercising my right to remain silent? Right. Let him answer that question. Right. You know, let me see some identification. Sir, would you punish me for exercising my right to remain silent? Well yeah, any more tell me who you're looking for, I'll tell you if that I'm that person. Right. You see. Well, yeah, but, you know, that with the Supreme Court ruling now, you know what they'll do, you know, just boom, you're in jail. But, like, you know, like Tom pointed out, 21 states already had it in their law uh, that, you know, that they have to. And, see, that's the major thing. See, cops can't cite Supreme Court rulings as, as law because it's not law. The thing is, what the Supreme Court actually did was justify and, and legalize any of the laws in any of the states that say you must identify yourself to a police officer. All they did was say, oh, yes, it is constitutional. Right. Uh, you know, and, and that's really what they did. But if your state doesn't have a law like that, the cops still can't do it. They still have to abide by the statute. They are statutory employees. Right. You know, so they have to abide by the statute. All their authority comes from the statute, not from the Constitution, but from the statutes. Now, the statutes have to always wash up against the Constitution. You know, so it's a, you know, it's another one of those things where people really got to know the way this is, the way it goes, the, how it, how it works. And if you don't know how it works, you can't possibly do much of anything. Well, I, I think we should all just look forward to where the, uh, they start carrying the cash register in the car with them, and then they can just tell you how much you need. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they used to do that. You know, that's like going back to the old days where you could just pay your fine to the deputy on the street, you know. Right. There you go. Yeah, how much yeah. is this? And they're, and they're so trustworthy, they can't do that anymore. Well, they took an oath. They're trustworthy, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sorry I got in there late, here, but uh, well, uh, you, you, put me on there, Frank. Well, no problem. I'm glad you called, Joe. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks. You too. All righty. Well, that was Joe from Idaho. That's got a nice ring to it. Anyways, the one thing now I got a couple minutes, but man, we can always do this again another day. But uh, the money. See, Franklin Delano Roosevelt wrote an executive order saying that everybody's got to turn in their gold. No hoarding. No more than $100 worth, or uh, you're going to jail, you're paying a $10,000 fine. 
Well, folks, I just wonder if anybody ever did file a suit or why nobody has if they haven't. Because the fact of the matter is the Constitution of the United States of America says that gold and silver is lawful money of the United States and no state shall, yada, 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 you know the thing. Well, if that has not been amended, which it hasn't, the president doesn't have any authority to write any laws anyway, but he doesn't have any any decree power, neither does Congress have any power to write any laws that are inconsistent with the Constitution. we got to go, folks. You know, if there's somebody who's got an ad right after this on the shortwave, I might, might shut it off for a minute, okay? Anyway, we'll be back again tomorrow. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Frank Report on the American Voice Radio Network. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to tune in next time. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Join Pastor Mike Hoover every Sunday at 5 p.m. right here on American Voice Radio Network. Learn with Pastor Hoover what the Bible really teaches and not what the phony 501c3 corporate church says it does. On Galaxy 11, Channel 12, Audio 8.10, on your big C-band satellite dish, and on the Internet at AmericanVoiceRadio.com or .net every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare, while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at lancet.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio.
you've suggested people that their money should be gold or silver coin, as it says in the Constitution, they sometimes stare at you with a blank expression or make the most extraordinary comments. Do you feel that our paper currency should still be backed by gold or silver? Uh, I think there should be a backing for currency. Otherwise, there's a temptation to run it out and uh, make too much of it. I'm not really sure what you mean. Um, like change the color of our money or something? Or? I'd buy silver. Gold. I don't know a lot about this, but what I would say be just because of counterfeit. I think it should, but unfortunately it isn't. Okay, why do you think it should? I don't think the current system uh, is stable. These statements by everyday American citizens show how little people understand the intentions of the Founding Fathers. As the Constitution itself says, it is the supreme law of the land. And therefore the Constitution ranks ahead of any statutes of Congress, any statutes or constitutions for that matter of the states, and decisions of the courts. And any law or decision of the courts that is inconsistent with it is to that extent void. It's not a law at all. So what's going on here? Why does the Constitution clearly state that our money shall be coined, yet we are using government supposedly official paper dollar bills and we can't even redeem these for silver any longer and why does Thomas Jefferson the very man who drafted the Declaration of Independence and co-authored the US Constitution warn us about banks and corporations something is off here the Federal Reserve System of the federal government. That's what I thought it was when I first started to research this topic. But it turns out that it's nothing of the kind. The Federal Reserve is a hybrid organization. It's a partnership between the federal government and the private banks. When you look at it deeper than that, its essence is neither as a government agency or a private company. In reality, it is a cartel. In other words, it's no different in essence than a banana cartel or a sugar cartel or an oil cartel. It's a grouping of the large private corporations in the field, banking, who have come together to create agreement between themselves to limit competition, to preserve their profits, and to make sure that no newcomers come in and uh, take away their position. That's what cartels are always designed to do. And it's a shocking thing to realize that something as prestigious as the Federal Reserve System, at its core, is nothing more or less than a banking cartel with exactly those same objectives. The motivation for Congress to go into partnership with the elite bankers who formed the Federal Reserve is clear. Endless amounts of money could effectively be printed up and lent to Congress. Thus, individual congressmen would no longer be forced to depend on raising taxes to generate additional revenue, an unpopular action that can cost them re-election. Ironically, if there were no Federal Reserve, there may have been no need for an income tax. The country did fine without it for 130 years. The income tax amendment was introduced the same year the Federal Reserve System was formed, 1913.
Coincidence? Prior to the formation of the Federal Reserve System, the country never did better. In fact, that was the problem, at least for the major banks. Capital formation, also known as savings, was happening all over America. Other than panics, many of which were caused by unethical lending practices, America was doing great. So much so, the big New York banks were losing business. But why isn't the mainstream media telling us this story? What would motivate them to refrain from a critical interpretation of banking history and the Federal Reserve System, especially today, when they broadcast critical, even intimate reports on every other aspect of life? I consider the Federal Reserve Act and the creation of the Federal Reserve as being unconstitutional. It gave uh, the government then uh, the power to create legal tender out of thin air, that is, to create paper money, and although they didn't do that overnight, between 1913 and 1971, that is exactly what happened. But the notion of a central bank uh, does not uh, fit into the Constitution. Uh, the Congress has the authority to coin money, and only gold and silver should be legal tender. And uh, this is an absolute contradiction of the Constitution to have a Federal Reserve system and a central bank. Not a lot of American people understand it, and I would add that probably not too many people here in the Congress understand it either. I think they see it as a convenience, and I think a lot of other people see it as a convenience because they think they're protected by the type of system that we have. But a fiat monetary system or a paper money system is merely a system where the government has this power and authority to dictate and insist that a piece of paper is legal tender. And even members of the banking committee have come up to me and they say, you mean our dollar isn't backed by gold anymore? Uh, not realizing that the Federal Reserve really accommodates big government uh, bureaucrats and politicians. There's another major problem with the system in that the system is a cartel structure, which means that they've taken all the banks in the country and put them into one economic unit that's essentially regulated from the top by the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. Comes 1932-33, you had the crash. Uh, Roosevelt administration came in. One of the first important pieces of legislation that was passed was the National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933. And the National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933 did for all industries in the economy the same thing that the Federal Reserve System did for the banks in 1913. It created a cartel structure. All the steel producers were in one group, poultry people were in another group, mining people were in another group. And on top of this whole thing was something that looked like the Board of Governors called the National Recovery Administration. The National Industrial Recovery Act was challenged as to its constitutionality. And a case went to the Supreme Court, 1935, the Schechter Poultry case. And the Supreme Court unanimously declared it unconstitutional. They said this kind of delegation of power by Congress to private parties is, and this is an exact quote, unknown to our law, unquote. You couldn't find it anywhere. By any method of interpretation, simply unknown. Well, the difference between the National Industrial Recovery Act and the Federal Reserve Act is essentially zero. The peculiarity here is that the Federal Reserve Act has never gotten that question to the Supreme Court. Let's take a second look at the words of Thomas Jefferson, a deeper look at exactly who owns and operates the private banks known as the Federal Reserve System, and what their mission statement might be. 
The banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all their prosperity. Interesting that Jefferson not only mentions the banks that will grow up, but the corporations as well. Bear in mind that each one of the Federal Reserve Banks is basically a private corporation. Neither you and I, the people, nor the federal government for that matter, own these corporations, these so-called banks. They are owned by other corporations, known as member banks. The Fed was formed not in Washington, D.C., not in the halls of Congress, but it was formed on a private island off the coast of Georgia called Island in those days was a club they called the Jekyll Island Club. And its members were a relatively small group of billionaires from New York. People like J.P. Morgan, William Rockefeller, and their business associates. When they went to the island, they all traveled aboard the private railroad car of Senator Nelson Everidge. This was November of 1910, and he and six other men were told they mustn't be seen together, they couldn't dine together on that evening, and they must avoid newspaper reporters at all costs. One of them carried a shotgun. Just in case he had been confronted by a reporter, he was prepared to tell them that he was going on a duck hunting. When they got on this car, they were told not to address each other by last names, first names only. And two of them even went further, and they adopted code names. They were concerned that the identities of all of these seven men might be known to the servants on board the car, and that the servants might talk about it. And in that fashion, the word would get out. Even when they got to the island and went to the clubhouse, they had replaced all of the normal servants with new servants who didn't know any of these people. And they created the Federal Reserve under those kinds of conditions of great secrecy. I can assure you that very few wars of history have ever been plotted under conditions of greater secrecy than that. According to accidental releases of Fed stockholder information, as of 11.05 a.m. Tuesday, July 26, 1983, Five member banks own 53% of the stock in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the most major of the 12 Federal Reserve Banks around the country. This is a controlling interest in the controlling bank. The major stockholders of this major bank, however, are confidential. No one, not even the government or the President of the United States, knows who they are nor can they find out. We all began to lose track of this ownership on Tuesday, the 26th of July, 1983. Only a small group of elite insiders knows who these owners or controlling agents are in present time. Does this sound like a Thomas Jefferson operation? Does this so-called Federal Reserve System sound like something Ben Franklin? the man who invented the pot-bellied stove and co-authored the Constitution would set up? Or does this system sound more like something George Orwell would write about in his nightmare book, 1984?
Again, G. Edward Griffin. In those days, there was a great deal of concern among the American people about the concentration of financial power in the hands of a few uh, very wealthy and um, powerful financial interests in Wall Street. Um, they called this the money trust. And uh, the cry in those days was to break the grip of the money trust. And one of the primary purposes of the Federal Reserve Act, as it was promoted to the American people, was just that, to break the grip of the money trust. They were going to write a law that was going to take the power away from these people and put it in the hands of their trustworthy politicians, you see. Put it in the hands of the people through the electoral process. That was the propaganda behind the Federal Reserve System. So what's the purpose of the secrecy? It's because when you look at the list of these people who went, they were the money trust. They were the representatives of the banks, of J.P. Morgan, the Rockefellers. They represented Kuhn Loban Company, Warburgs in Germany and the Netherlands, and the Rothschilds in England. This was the money trust, not only of the United States, but of the world. Had that fact been known, who these people were that were drafting the Federal Reserve System, the, the trick would have been exposed, and the public never would have adopted the Federal Reserve Act as, in fact, they did. When you think about the significance of the Federal Reserve Act being passed under those conditions, the American people didn't know, but it was banking interests that were behind it. Powerful banking interests because they wanted their assets protected. They wanted the Federal Reserve to be the lender of last resort. So if they had been loaning out and risking the money and these loans go bad, instead of having the market take care of this, they wanted bailed out. And this is why it was a tremendous popular thing to do for the banks and of course the big business people who were borrowing the money. So it was very, very special interest directed and it, it was designed for the elite. And even today a lot of people don't quite understand that. So it's an educational job as well outside of Washington, but hopefully someday people here in Washington, especially the members of the banking committee, will gain some interest in this subject because ultimately we will have to address it. Where does Congress get most of its funding? I would like to say from us, but I'm sure they have uh, foreign investors that they also get their money from us. Okay. Taxes. People. Government. Um, it gets it out of federal taxation, of course from taxes, but if you mean today, a great deal we're getting from China buying treasury bills. They print it. And can you elaborate on that? They have no funding. They have no money. It's all puff and mirrors. They have no money. It's all an illusion. There's, there's not much in back of it. As we can see, the average American citizen has conflicting ideas as to where Congress gets its funding. In actuality, Congress gets most of it by borrowing it from the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve gets the so-called money by effectively printing it up. The whole process is known as the Mandrake Mechanism. Thus, today's paper currency, far from the gold and silver coinage stipulated by the founders, is essentially created out of thin air. Most people are alarmed when they hear about the fact that the Fed can create money out of nothing and charge interest on it, so-called interest. It starts with Congress. Remember, 
A moment ago, I said that the Federal Reserve System was a partnership between a cartel and the federal government. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, we've got to go vote, and uh, we want to thank you for being here with us uh, today. And, well, if uh, there's a partnership, thank you also for there's a reason for the partners, both of them, to be in it, or they wouldn't more be. Than a pleasure. So why is the banking fraternity in this partnership, and why are the politicians in it? Congress needs more money. They always need more money. They, uh, they like to spend money. That gets them elected. Uh, they don't like to raise taxes because that gets them unelected. The answer, of course, is that they borrow it. If you're not going to tax it from somebody, you can borrow it from somebody else. And that's why we have uh, government bonds and treasury notes and bills and so forth. And we have what's called the national debt because they've borrowed money to pay for current expenses that they don't want to pay for through taxes because that would be unpopular. So 30 days after they borrowed a billion dollars or 60 days, whatever the term of the loan is, they have to pay that money back. Well, lo and behold, it turns out that the congressmen and the senators are still not taking in as much money in taxes as they are spending in benefits. So they don't have the money to repay the loan. So what do they do? Easy. Borrow some more. Borrow enough to pay back the original loan, plus a little bit more to keep them in office. So this process goes on and on and on, and that's why we have the national debt growing and growing and growing. The Federal Reserve enters the picture at this stage because, you see, they can never borrow enough from the private sector. There's never enough existing money out there for the politicians to borrow. So what do they do? They go to the Federal Reserve System and by agreement, remember this is their partner now, the Federal Reserve System agrees literally to create the money that they're going to lend to the government. It's not really a lending at all, as you can see, but they, they use the old traditional words of lending it to the government, when in fact all they're doing is just printing it for the government. They're creating it for the government, and then they call it a loan. Of course, they don't print it all because most of it's checkbook money, but nevertheless, the process is the same as if they had just turned on the printing presses and printed all this money and gave it to the federal government. So now, once the Federal Reserve System creates this money, out of nothing, literally. It's fresh money into the society, into the economy, and that's how the money supply keeps growing and growing and growing. What about the banking partner? What's in it for them? I come in and I give the bank, say, 100 ounces of gold, and the bank offers me some interest payment on that. They're going to pay me 3% interest. And they're going to take that 100 ounces of gold and they're going to lend it out at 5%. That's how they make their money, the 2% spread. Okay? Now that's fine so far because I know that gold is in there, it's being loaned out, and someday down, I'm getting 2% interest and someday I can ask for that principal back. It might be six months, it might be a year, whatever it is. Where the trick comes into this is the bank says, not only are we going to lend that money out, but we're going to allow you, Mr. Depositor, to draw on that money right now. All right? which means that they can't possibly be saying that I can draw 100% of that deposit when they've also loaned out 100% of that deposit. Now, maybe they don't loan out 100%, maybe they don't loan out 90% or even whatever it is. And that's the fractional reserve concept. They don't have enough reserves to pay out all of these obligations that they've made, especially with respect to paper currency, because usually that's the way it worked. Now, why do they do this? Well, they do this because they make money. Right. If I can loan out essentially more than I have in my reserves, 
By that difference, I'm increasing interest payments. So the bankers are beneficiaries of this. And obviously, the early, the first lender, the person that receives that money is a beneficiary because he's getting money he wouldn't have gotten otherwise, even though he has to pay interest on it. But then what happens down the line? This is the fascinating part about it. The market has set prices and wages on the basis of what it believes is the total amount of money that's in circulation. Along come the banks and they start generating new money that the market doesn't know about. It finds out about it because the money goes into circulation. So I'm the first user of this money. I've just received the loan from the bank. I'm going to go out and buy cement with it. And when I buy cement with it, cement is at the original market price. Now, as that money starts percolating into society, the market realizes there's more money than there was before. More money chasing the same amount of goods means the prices of goods go up, right? So eventually, somewhere down the line, that same cement that I just bought for $5 a pound is going to cost someone else $6 a pound. Now, if he buys that cement at $6 a pound before his income has increased commensurately, what's happening to his real wealth? He's losing real wealth, right? His costs have gone up, his income stays the same, his real wealth is decreased. Whose real wealth has increased in this transaction? Mine and the bank's, because we got the full value of the money right at the beginning. So this system transfers wealth somehow. You can't exactly follow it. But the principle is there. It transfers wealth from society to the creators of money. For every billion dollars that's put into the banks, I, as a commercial banker, can create an additional $9 billion and push them out into the economy as loans. Now that $9 billion, based on the $1 billion, which itself was created out of nothing, all of it is just fiat money. It's created out of nothing, but the commercial banks get the bigger end of the deal, as you can see. They can create nine for the private sector called loans, and these are genuine loans. And that is where our money comes from. That is how money is created. Every bit of it is created in this fashion. Every bit of it is based upon debt, and that debt creates money that literally has nothing behind it at all. Now this is how money is created in the Western world. And it's an amazing story. Only a very few people at the top know how money really comes into existence. Best estimates say that a network of about 7,000 people, mostly located in large urban areas worldwide, facilitate the acquisition and control of the voting stock of these banks by proxy. The marching orders as to where literally hundreds of trillions of dollars of monetary power will be directed are believed to be given by the 7,000 on instructions from an insider control group we estimate to number about 300. Of the 300, many are related to one another by blood, marriage, and business ties. And, it would seem, have family ties to the original robber barons of the Industrial Revolution at the turn of the 19th century. More importantly, however, most of the 7,000 involved in this group may be largely unaware of their negative effects on society. They may sincerely, but naively, believe they are simply doing good. Nevertheless, now talking about the 300 who form the inner controlling body, we estimate that about 50 of this group are anything but naive. Thus, 
Having successfully established the ultimate money-making machine, the Federal Reserve System, this nefarious cartel of tyrants is in a position to literally acquire control over the assets of the world, deprive the people of all their prosperity, as Thomas Jefferson would say. This is the calculus of the situation, and this is exactly what they are doing, with a little help from their virtuous but ignorant servants in Congress, as John Adams might say. Yes, the Founding Fathers must surely be rolling over in their graves. The original intent of the Constitution is spelled out quite clearly, not only in the document, but in the immediate history that surrounds its formation. Now, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 limits the powers of the states. It says, no state shall coin money. States had coined money. It stops them from doing it. No state shall emit bills of credit. Now, that's one of those peculiar words. If you were living in that time, you knew what it meant. It meant essentially what we call paper money. No state shall emit bills of credit, which means that a state itself cannot create paper money, and then it can't do it indirectly by setting up some kind of a bank that's controlled by the state. Third provision in that clause is, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. And notice the language, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin, meaning states can and should make gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. But the historical background shows absolutely clearly that paper money was not going to be allowed at the national level or the state level. And the very interesting point here is that the same people who wrote the Constitution had been to a large extent in control of the states and of the Congress under the Articles of Confederation during the War of Independence. These people had emitted large amounts of paper money. The states did it, Congress did it. When that Congress did it was called the Continental Currency, and most people are familiar with the phrase not worth a continental. Paper money depreciated so radically in value that it was essentially worthless. Those same people looked back at what they had done only a few years earlier and said, we're not going to do this anymore. The inflation isn't rising prices. The inflation is the government's program of increasing the supply of money, which devalues the currency, and that causes the prices to go up. Inflation, that is the destruction of money, eventually wipes out the middle class. The best example in the 20th century being uh, what we saw uh, happen in Germany. As the runaway inflation came, the middle class got wiped out. In the early stages, of course, somebody benefited. Uh, eventually it hurts everybody. But in this country right now, we have constant uh, insidious inflation. So there is a transfer of wealth from the poor and the middle class to the wealthy. But because it affects the business cycle, and causes prices to go up in general, who suffers the most? The people who can afford it the least, that people on fixed incomes, low middle income people, poor people. I think it especially hits hard low middle income people who are trying to make it on their own and won't go on the dole because their prices go up more and they're the first ones to lose their job when the business cycle turns down. The Federal Reserve, by increasing the credit, creates the boom part of the cycle, but then there's always the resulting downturn of the cycle when unemployment rises. We're always live. It's almost impossible to believe that the all-powerful dominant media, what Bill O'Reilly calls the elite media, would endlessly cover all these issues, yet be silent on the very subject that is common to all of them. Money. 
and the entity that creates and manages the so-called money supply, the Federal Reserve System. Why is this? One can never watch enough television. <laughs> there has been a tremendous concentration of the mass media over the last 50 years, from over 100 companies to six companies. Back in the 1934 Communications Act, each media company was only allowed to own a handful of stations, and they weren't allowed to have cross-ownership. They couldn't allow own all the media in your town. Now they can own more and more because congressmen who've gotten elected as a result of the mass media have given them more and more. That means very few people have the right to speak to us over television, over radio, through the New York Times, the LA Times, the different news media. The whole purpose of the First Amendment is to guarantee that we have more, not less speech. However, when you start to get down and say only a few people can put up their soapbox, only a few people can address the audience, suddenly you've limited the amount of speech. Now that's the government control of speech. On the other hand, when those few people recognize that the government is the one that's licensed them to speak, they start to act in a way that's not going to jeopardize that relationship. Could this be one of the reasons any critical reporting of universally important issues, such as the Federal Reserve, have been cut out of the public debate for so long? As Ted Turner relates in his article, My Beef with Big Media? Why would major media corporations, corporations that control the information flow to 95% of the American citizens, fail to report on the detrimental activities of the Federal Reserve System? a government-sanctioned, quasi-private banking cartel that literally controls 100% of the money flow to the same citizens, as well as the lion's share of the money flow to Congress itself. The amount of money it costs today to run for Congress or even to run for president is obscene. And most of that money goes into television commercials and spots and all of the mass media advertising that needs to be done to reach the 295 million Americans, a vast number of people. And when that person wins, if the media has supported him, naturally he wants to pay them back. He may not think of that consciously, but in appropriating licenses and expanding territories and allowing them to own one, more than one media outlet, that's exactly what happens. As a result, the number of media companies, as we said before, has concentrated in a few hands. And unfortunately, Congress and the media work together to present an image to the American people that does not always include every aspect of the truth. This reciprocity, this in cahoots process, has obscured many of the more important issues to the American people. And there's no more important issue than the issue of fiat money. When you give men the power to create money out of nothing, you shouldn't be surprised if they turn around and create money out of nothing, because that's what they're supposed to do. Now, the underlying philosophy is that, well, we'll be very conservative about it. We won't run rampant. We won't abuse this power, would we? So we give them blindly this power to create money out of nothing because we trust them to use this power wisely. Nowhere in history has this ever been a justified trust. Every time man has had that power, and this started back in antiquity, 
Those with the power have abused it and have created more and more and more money at a rate much faster than the expansion of goods and services which are being produced by the productive side of the economy. Now, if the goods and services were growing at a rate which is exactly the same as the money supply, then the purchasing power of the monetary unit would remain constant. In ancient Rome, if you had a one ounce gold coin, that would be the cost of a nice toga, a handcrafted belt, and a pair of sandals. Today, thousands of years later, if you have a one ounce gold coin, and you convert that into Federal Reserve notes, you can walk into a store and buy a nice suit, a handcrafted belt, and a pair of shoes. The real price of those items, and all items for that matter, throughout history does not change when measured in terms of something of intrinsic value, such as gold or silver, because those things take human effort to produce as well as the, the belt, the toga, and the sandals. Both of them take human effort to produce, and that's why they maintain uh, value with each other. But once you break that away, and you give men the power to, to expand the money supply, without that discipline, they're going to expand the money supply faster than the increase in goods and services. And then you're going to have this uh, difference in purchasing power. We call it inflation. Well, it's always politically popular to impose financial burdens on somebody else. It tends to be politically difficult to impose financial burdens on someone who's living alongside of you because they tend to have votes and they tend to have representatives who will take their position. It's fairly easy to impose a financial burden on the future because the future generation tends not to have any votes or representation at all in the present. As soon as you start talking about monetization of debt, where the banks come in and now buy governmental debt with new money that the banks have created through this special privilege they have of creating money in, in the Federal Reserve System, the redistribution of wealth that takes place through that process, most people don't understand. It happens through depreciation of currency, and the depreciation of currency usually leads to increases in prices, which the average person calls inflation. Inflation is really the increase in the money supply. The prices increase as a consequence of that. But the average person doesn't understand how this happens. And he's going to blame gold speculators in Switzerland. He's going to blame greedy unions. He's going to blame uh, you know, price gouging. He's going to blame everybody but Congress and the banking system. So it's easy politically through monetization of debt to expand borrowing beyond prudent levels. Now, now why is that tyrannous? Well, at a certain level, it's tyrannous. The definition of tyranny is the exercise of a power that no one should be allowed to exercise. Okay? And it's tyrannous because no one should be allowed to exercise a power that puts burdens on people that are not allowed an opportunity to be heard, an opportunity to vote, an opportunity to have some kind of a say. Right. Granted, to some extent, you're going to have to do that in the nature of government as long as you have borrowing, but beyond a certain point, it becomes tyrannous. And it's beyond that point that the present system allows our political structure to move too easily. How much, uh, take for instance, how much is the purchasing power of Federal Reserve notes lost since World War II? About 90%. You think that hasn't had some consequence in terms of redistribution of wealth, in terms of the way the economy has developed? Of course it has. The average person doesn't see, doesn't see it. He can't follow the lines of cause and effect. 
but it's there, and his life is quite a bit different from what it would have been if that hadn't occurred. Purchasing power, monetization of debt, inflation. What do we mean by all these terms? Terms we may have heard many times, but still fail to connect the dots. Are you confused? If so, you're not alone. Inflation, I think, is a bad word, because really, we think of inflation as rising prices. But in reality, what's happening, prices are not going up. It's that the value of the dollar or the monetary unit is going down. That's what's really happening if we understand the process. And it's a tax, therefore. Our lost purchasing power, the, what we have to pay more for a bag of groceries today than we did five years ago, comes out of our pocket, comes out of our earning capacity. That is value which we should have but it's been taken from us through a process that we call inflation, but in reality, it's a hidden tax. Inflation is the result of being able to create money out of nothing, and that is the power we have given to the Federal Reserve System. Therefore, we can say that the, in, the Federal Reserve System is the agency of a hidden tax called inflation. Since the early 1900s, almost no one talks about the country's banking system anymore. What happened? There was shooting, then there was nothing. Yet our money, like water, is one of the most important commodities we have. More than that, the quality of our money affects the productivity of every man, woman, and company in America. As time goes on, people figure out better ways of doing things, better ways of making products, cheaper and faster. For instance, one farmer can now grow food for thousands of people, whereas he used to be able to feed only his family. Thus, everything should be getting cheaper, because the supply of everything has been growing faster than the demand. This is true even though the population has been growing as well. Unfortunately, this is not what we observe. With the exception of a few industries, like the computer industry, and products we import from places like China, it seems that almost everything is getting more expensive, but oftentimes cheaper in quantity. How can this be? Over the decades, the productive energy of society seems to be getting siphoned off. Well, that's, it's hard to predict, but I, I certainly think it's possible because I think the financial bubble worldwide is something that uh, we have never experienced before. Uh, we've had tastes of that, but Alan Greenspan in one way is a genius and in another way he is an unbelievable threat to it. He's a, a genius in the sense that in, technic, in a technical fashion he's been able to keep this system of inflation together longer than anybody else has been able to, especially in this last go-around from 2000 on. With the collapse of the Nasdaq bubble, we really didn't have much of a recession because he immediately uh, started inflating massively, taking interest rates down to 1%, and now, of course, he's a little bit frightened about the bubble, and he's curtailing credit to some degree, but uh, the dollar has become the gold of the world. The, uh, the uh, world central banks have accepted the dollar as if it were gold. Greenspan claims that they have gotten the paper money to act as if it is gold, which 
I strongly disagree with and all the hard money people disagree uh, with, but uh, I believe he's been capable of creating this huge financial bubble and the world has not yet uh, seen what may come of this. So I suspect that uh, depending on when it comes and what we do, it could very well end up into a much worse situation than the Great Depression. But if the country decided, well, something has to be done and we went to a gold standard and limited the creation of credit, curtailed the power of the Fed, I think it would iron out all our difficulties. When Argentina periodically would just quit inflating and maybe tie their currency to the, even the dollar, price inflation went like from hundreds of percent per year down to 2% or 3%, so it's, it's rather rapid. So you would see an immediate benefit. You would iron out the severe swings in the business cycle, uh, the price problems would be diminished, but the one thing we'd have to give up, which to me would be a benefit, government would have to curtail spending because they can't tax the people enough to pay for all those bills. So we would have to curtail our spending. So that would be, to me, a tremendous boost to the American people and to the economy. At the same time, we gave sound money I mean, this would be fantastic. Within months, uh, there would be some people who would suffer from the adjustment period, but it might be the people who have benefited so much over these years. But the average person, the poor person, the jobs would become available. So it, it would not take a long, long time. What would take a long time is if we refuse to consider it and the problems get worse and we have a severe recession or depression and huge inflation and we do all the wrong things. That is what we should work so hard against. We must get rid of the fiat money system. How do you do that? Well, the first step, of course, the big step, the biggest imaginable step is for people to realize that they even have one. I mean, how many people walking up and down the streets that go into the, uh, the polls each year and elect their leaders, how many people know that we have a fiat money system? How are we going to change that unless we have an understanding, an educational foundation at the electoral level? So this is where we have to start. Because so many people in the U.S. are now semi-illiterate, thanks to the government-sponsored public school system, it may be possible to stimulate a discussion on the Federal Reserve only through films and TV shows. In many ways, film has replaced the written word for the masses. What is the Federal Reserve System? It's where they generate the money, and they keep the money, I think. <laughs> Federal Reserve System is a banking structure owned by the, uh, the banks and run by the government. No, I don't, I don't know much okay. about that. Okay, thank you. Uh, it's a system of balancing the flow of currency throughout the United States so that as banks need to have liquidity, they have it, and as they need to tighten up money, they tighten it up. Similar to what you had said earlier about having the reserves for when we go in a crisis or something, and you need to have that actual backing, not just the dollar currency, because paper is paper, and if you don't have that gold or silver behind it, then it's just going to be paper. Uh, it was established in... Uh if I, if I guessed, I'm not sure, 1913 perhaps, to establish st stability in the um, American financial system? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, what is a system? 
It's a banking system that's uh, run by the government. Uh, a little, in, it's almost like a fourth branch, but it's run by the government, and it's uh, guaranteeing the, the that banks will remain stable. And if they're not stable, they'll take it over. Um, a way of backing up the money. We, I don't know. Yeah. And what is the Federal Reserve System? Um, is the, well, do you want Andrew Jackson's opinion of the Federal Reserve System or what? Your your opinion. Uh, I liked his. It's a bunch of organized crooks. Wow. Now that citizen is informed. Too bad everyone is not as aware of how far we have strayed from our founding principles. Well, the major problem you have not only with the Federal Reserve System but with any statutory structure that's unconstitutional is it doesn't square with the, what's called the Supremacy Clause the Constitution, which has the Constitution and laws passed in pursuance thereof. That is, constitutional laws are the supreme law of the land. So obviously you have a statute that doesn't square with the Constitution. It's void. It is not a law, in fact. So the question then arises, well, how does that square with the oath of office of representatives, senators, judges? And the answer is it doesn't that when they come face to face with a statute that is in contradiction of the Constitution, they are to treat the Constitution as the supreme law and treat that statute as void. So that's number one. Here we have a system, the Federal Reserve System, that has all of these constitutional problems and everyone is essentially looking in the opposite direction. So that doesn't square with the oath of office. And one would think that the president being the head of the executive department in which we find the Treasury, Department of Treasury, right, which interacts quite closely with the Federal Reserve, might have something direct to say about that. And then, of course, the president has a specific constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, and the supreme law of the land is the Constitution. So you would expect, on top of all of this, that he would be saying, wait a minute, if the Constitution doesn't square with the Federal Reserve Act in one or more ways, then I should be giving directives to the Secretary of the Treasury to take certain kinds of action to deal with that. And, of course, we see exactly the opposite. We see the Federal Reserve people, usually the chairman of the Federal Reserve, comes to Congress, and he tells Congress directly, and usually tells the President, at least indirectly, here's how monetary policy is going to be implemented. So the Federal Reserve is the tail that's wagging the dog when we have all of these questions and it may not be legitimate at all in whole or in part. If you want to see the way power goes in a system or the way the laws are corrupted, follow the money. And the Federal Reserve is a huge agency for the creation of money. If you study monetary history uh, throughout thousands of years, you will find out that paper money has been tried many, many times and it never succeeds. It always ends badly. The question is, is when will the dollar end badly? Will it be next year or in five years or ten years? I'm convinced it will end unless we do the right things, and that is restore soundness to the money, re put restraints on our government, uh, either strictly uh, uh, curtail the power of the Fed or get rid of the Fed. Uh, that will be the only way you can save the dollar. But if we continue to do what we're doing now, we will eventually destroy the dollar. Throughout history, as governments grow, they limit the individual's rights. The same thing happened in the Roman Empire. We know this from history, but we also know it from Shakespeare's wonderful play, Julius Caesar. As we start moving toward a bigger and bigger government, it's going to mean that the individual no longer has the right to own his property, the right to do what he wants, the right to live freely, the right to worship as he wants, the right to 
speak as he wants, the government starts to tell us what to do. Most of the time they think they're telling us what to do in their best interest, but the trouble is that government, as Adam Smith pointed out, John Locke pointed out, as the great thinkers of all time have always pointed out, don't really know what's right to do. Government often makes the wrong choices because it doesn't understand the consequences of its actions. So even when it doesn't desire to be a nefarious force, to be a dark force, it often is. The problem that we have is the result of legislation. Congress has to make fundamental changes in the present system. I don't think that it's possible to impose from the top down even the constitutional system because no one out there now is used to using gold and silver as their money. So what needs to be done is to create a competitive system of currencies. Leave the Federal Reserve System there. Slowly, over six months or a year, take away some of its legal privileges, its legal tender privilege, its privilege is the only medium to pay government taxes, so forth and so on. And over on this side, create a gold and silver system. And then you will have competition between the two, the paper money price structure and the gold and silver price structure. And it will be a competition. What happened is in this competition, gold and silver would win out because in competition, the free market usually wins out over governmental intervention and special privileges. And that's the reason we have governmental intervention and special privileges, to keep the free market from winning out. And that's why they go to government to ask for legal privileges, all right? So, that's the first problem. Now, the second problem is I don't see that happening through Congress because there are just too many loggerheads in Congress to get the thing started. So my suggestion is that it begin in some state, a small state, a state that probably has a certain amount of its taxes that it can hypothecate to gold. And if the system worked and more and more people were asking, then the state could expand the areas of taxation and bring more people into it. And eventually you would, if it worked, you would see the whole state, the state's monetary system, the government, state government, would be on a gold system. And then I would think as well you'd begin to see that spreading into the economy. Now, if that were to happen, then I think other states would look at this and say, well, that makes sense. Let's begin to move in that direction. You could look at it essentially as a monetary insurance policy. They don't have to go beyond 10%, but 10% gold holding is perfectly prudent. And if something were to happen in the economy, if there were to be a monetary crisis, banking crisis, then the state could rapidly expand the system because people would know how it operates. But the idea is to get the mechanism, as it were, on the table so that people can see how it works, why it works, what its benefits are. They don't have to be afraid of it. And arguments along the lines that there's not enough gold and silver in the world to do this will you know, that kind of thing will be uh, shown to be fallacious. Concerned citizens should be asking themselves questions. Like, why do you feel like you're on a treadmill that's constantly running faster? Hey. Why does it now take a two-income family to make ends meet, thus preempting women from their traditional role of providing stay-at-home childcare? Why do we see a never-ending expansion of government, even though our elected officials endlessly promise to reduce it? Where does the government get the funds to wage perpetual war, yet fails to provide the basic protection citizens needed on September 11th? 
Why do rich people seem to be getting richer, while you and all your friends seem to be hardly making ends meet? Why does a first-class stamp now cost you nearly 40 cents when it used to cost only 5 cents? Should a 90% loss of purchasing power be tolerated? Where does it end? It's easy to see where we're headed. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. If you follow a graph and you can see that there are points on this graph and they're going constantly in one direction and they've been doing this for 50 years, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see where it's headed. Where this graph is headed is for total destruction of our monetary system. Our money will be totally worthless and it'll probably be reissued in the form of some international currency which will be equally worthless but the value to these people is that once it's on an international basis there's nowhere else to go right now if you if you don't like american dollars you can buy uh, japanese yen if you don't like that you can buy uh, swiss francs if you don't like that you can move to whatever currency seems to be having a little better track record once there's an international monetary system in place modeled completely and exactly after the federal reserve system is exactly the same then there's no place else to go folks you've had it so that's where it's headed and if we don't turn this thing around i think we're going to be living in kind of a uh, a modern serfdom and we'll be serving masters and they won't be living in the big castles uh, that we can see at least uh, and say well that's where the master lives up there and we're tilling his field um, our masters will be the bankers and the politicians, and they'll live in big houses, but they won't be castles. But we'll be serving masters nevertheless, and we'll be thinking they're wonderful people without realizing that they are our masters. If the United States went back to constitutional money, it would be an amazingly wonderful event, because it wouldn't be just going back to constitutional money. In order for that to happen, that means you'd have to assume a groundswell of awakening on the part of the electorate. And they would understand not only what's happening in the monetary system, but what's happening across the board in our political system. I think we would have a great resurgence of prosperity and tranquility. That means that the electorate would have to be questioning a lot of other things in our society as well. And I think we would see an improvement across the board, and I look forward to that day. Americans need to stay on top of one of their most influential institutions, the Federal Reserve System. They need to start asking questions, not only of their representatives, but of no less than the President of the United States, whose sworn duty is to uphold the law of the land, especially the supreme law of the land, the U.S. Constitution.
Whether you call it commercial redemption or accept it for value, the Commerce Game Exposed is the book that will help you understand this process. The fact is, there is no lawful money in circulation. The explanation and details as to how this happened are enlightening, and the instructions concerning what one can do with this information are detailed and easy to understand. Utilizing this process is not for everyone, but learning how lawful money has been turned into commercial debt instruments should be of concern to everyone. The Commerce Game Exposed book is a good tool to learn the commercial nature of the New World Order. To order the Commerce Game Exposed, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050. A coastal resort protected by armed guards. That was the private meeting place for Georgia legislators and corporate lobbyists. Now, who paid for it all? That's the big question. Chief Investigator Brendan Keith holds the powerful accountable tonight. Brendan? The 11 Alive investigators discovered an organization that gets money from lobbyists, gives it to legislators, and it's all considered charity. We found the fabled back rooms where laws are really made. We can't show you what's behind this closed door, a place where legislators and corporate lobbyists have an equal vote, a place they don't want you to see. Um, you need to be credentialed. We are credentialed. We are Georgia. We're Georgia Media. Are there legislators in there? Are there legislators in there? We are Georgia Credential Media. Over here? Please step over here. What? We're, there's Georgia legislators here. Are laws being made in there? This isn't the state capitol. It's a resort hotel in Savannah where lawmakers are wined and dined as members of the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. What is ALEC? It's uh, really a corporate bill mill. I mean, they're cranking out legislation put into the hands of legislators to go back and file it. Georgia Senator Nan Oreck would know she was once an ALEC member. What happens in these back rooms? Their votes taken that have the corporate folks at the same table voting with the legislators on what bills to pick. And that, that at its core just screams out inappropriate. You're telling me that in these rooms a corporation has an equal vote with a legislator on a piece of legislation? They absolutely vote, and the truth be told, they write the bill. ALEC bills come complete with blanks where legislators need only fill in their state name, like the Asbestos Claims Priorities Act. This Georgia law that now prevents many asbestos victims from suing corporations matches the ALEC bill clause after clause, often word for word. The final vote was taken here at the Georgia Capitol, but the bill was first approved here inside a Las Vegas casino at a closed-door ALEC meeting. Records show the three Georgia senators who sponsored the bill received more than $22,000 in ALEC scholarships to attend resort meetings the year before, during, and after the asbestos law was passed. This is money from corporations to legislators, but it's being filtered through ALEC, and they get a tax write-off? 
Well, ALEC is a 501c3 organization, Charitable Educational Purposes. That's right. ALEC is an educational charity. The signature of Georgia's Speaker of the House, David Ralston, appears on this 2013 ALEC fundraising letter. He writes, your support of the scholarship fund is critical, enabling Georgia legislators to attend the annual meetings. Donations are 100% tax deductible and fund education efforts for legislators. Who's doing the educating? Inside that closed-door committee room in Savannah we couldn't show you, we saw the lobbyist for the cell phone industry seated across from Georgia State Rep Ben Harbin right before we were pulled out. Here we're credentialed to observe legislators here in Georgia, wherever they meet, to discuss laws. He's calling for backup. Alex Staffers had four off-duty sheriff's deputies standing by while we talked with the group's director of communications. Can we do an interview with you? Actually, no. Uh, Why not? Um, if you please turn the camera on. No. We can't turn the camera off. We, you know, that's one thing we don't do. Okay. Well, then I'd like to have you escorted out of the building, please. Okay. We, I'm a guest of this hotel. I'm actually staying here. You are staying at this. Yeah. So here's the question: Is if Georgia legislators are meeting here, we're credentialed right here to see Georgia legislators making laws. Are they discussing things that could become law here? Georgia legislators are here participating in discussions where they're learning from legislators from others. So why can't the people who elected them see the process? This is a private meeting. A private meeting paid for by whom? By our members and donors. Our lobbyists, correct? No. Are you here for this conference, too? Are you We met two lobbyists and a state representative from New England in the hotel bar the night before and recorded our conversation. Do you have to pay your own way? Well, on a trip like this, that's where you would go, man. On a trip like this, I'm the state Yeah. And I look for... Uh, financial support, right? Lobbyists, like, you know, to send us like a couple thousand bucks every so often. That gives me money to help those folks with. Now, um, the other hand, we pay more fees to help support them. You do, you do. I see. So the lobbyist uh, fees to come to the event actually help subsidize the legislator coming here. Our lobbyists, correct? No. They're not lobbyists? The ones that we recorded in the bar last night aren't lobbyists who are here members? He signals to the sheriff's deputies. All right, we're, I'm a guest of the hotel, not, not sir. Not for long. Not for long. I'm, I'm here okay. but paying guests of this hotel, sir. We'll, we'll take care of that. Escort you up your room and get your things. Did we violate some law or something? I mean, are we violating a law here? Don't say nothing. One of the Georgia senators who sponsored that asbestos bill, Renee Unterman, told the 11 Alive investigators she later dropped out of ALEC, calling it a group of angry white men controlled by industry, not legislators. Major corporations like Atlanta-based Coca-Cola have also dropped out of ALEC. Wow, eye-opening to say the least. Do lawmakers have to report payments for travel to these kinds of resort meetings? You would think, Brenda, but in Georgia, the answer is no. We filed half a dozen open records requests with Georgia legislators, including the Speaker of the House asking for receipts and reimbursements to ALEC events. Well, today, we received this letter from their lawyer. Your request is denied. Quote, the General Assembly is not subject to the Georgia Open Records Law. Huh. In other words, lawmakers specifically exempted themselves from a law they passed to make Georgia government more transparent. More eye-opening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wow. This is just baffling. We'll stay on yeah. and, and we wouldn't know it had it not been for this no. report. No. All right, Brenda, thank, thank you. Mind-blowing. Thank you.
I was invited to give you a taste of a typical law school classroom experience here today, and I thought I would take advantage of this opportunity to do something that's been on my mind for a while, to stand up and to proudly say, God bless America, God bless the Bill of Rights, and thank God for the Fifth Amendment. I'm not ashamed to say I'm proud of the Fifth Amendment, and I'm, not, I'm proud to admit on camera and on the Internet that I will never talk to any police officer under any circumstances, with all due respect, sir. <laughs> I'm doing something really extraordinary here today, something you'll almost never see another law professor do as long as you live. I'm really putting myself on the spot here. At my, this was my idea. By my invitation, I have given up half of my time, approximately. I'm giving equal time and the last word to an expert who really knows something about what I'll be talking about. So I'm opening myself up to the possibility that he will contradict me. I was a criminal defense attorney when I was in private practice. So I want to make sure, in fairness to you, if I'm misleading you or giving you a slanted or one-sided presentation, you'll be able to get the last word from somebody else. I'm sure he'll have a lot to teach all of us, including myself. The Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution provides, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. And this unfortunate amendment has gotten a bad rep in, in recent times, much of it uh, tragically and unnecessarily through, as you may have heard, the headlines. Uh, there was a recent, recent Regent Law School graduate who was in all the news for a couple of weeks. She was an outstanding former student of mine, and she really got quite a lot of undeserved flack for the fact that she chose to exercise her right to remain silent when the Senate wanted to ask her certain questions that arguably might have tended to incriminate her. All of the world was aghast. The Christian community in particular looked at this and said, how could a Christian do such a thing? How could a Christian take the Fifth Amendment? And I said, you go, girlfriend. I do the same thing. I'll do it every time. And I want to talk to you about why that's true, but first a quick listening test. Let me read to you something that uh, was taken out of the newspaper this morning, and I want you to listen to it closely. And I'm giving you a heads up. I'm warning you in advance, which is not fair to you. Not fair to me, but I'm giving you a, head to, I'm giving you a warning that I'll be quizzing you on this in just a few minutes. This will test your aptitude for legal study and legal practice. Listen closely. It won't take long. Last night, agents of the Norfolk Police Department found three victims of an apparent murder dead in an apartment in the East Ocean View area, the apparent victims of a gangland-style slaying, and possibly the victims of gang-related violence. The police are investigating this as a possible murder and suicide, but right now suspect that the three were all killed by the same individual. No suspects have yet been identified in the slaying, but veteran police detective George Brooke has confirmed that police are following up on evidence pointing to the possible involvement of an off-duty naval officer as the perpetrator. The bodies, which were found by the apartment manager at about 8 o'clock in the morning, appear to have been slain sometime earlier in the same evening, probably sometime between midnight and 2 o'clock in the morning. That's it. Those are all the facts I'll ask you to remember, and it won't be for very long either. Let's see how well you do. I'll be quizzing you in just a few minutes. Now, here's the easiest question you'll ever get from a client in all the days of your life. Question, hey, the police are here. They want to talk to me. What should I do? Well, I could give you my answer to that question in case you haven't already guessed it, but why don't we go to a real expert? Justice Robert Jackson, a prosecutor's prosecutor. Like me, he began his private practice in Buffalo, New York, years before I did. And after that, he served as general counsel for the Bureau of Internal Revenue, the U.S. Department of Treasury, the Security and Exchange Commission, Assistant U.S. Attorney General for the Tax Division, later the Solicitor General and the Attorney General of the United States, and then the Chief U.S. Prosecutor for the Nuremberg Trials. That's an impressive resume. Years later, when he was a justice on the Supreme Court, Justice Jackson stated, quote, any lawyer worth his salt, today we would say his or her, will tell the suspect, his client, in no uncertain terms to make no statement to the police under any circumstances. There's the title of my talk. I'm here to explain to you the surprising and somewhat counterintuitive and admittedly unlikely reasons why Justice Jackson was right. I'm reminded of this because I'm amazed, we're all amazed, by the frequency with which we see newspaper articles coming out all the time, 
from people who really ought to know better, who say, well, I'll, I'll talk to the police. I mean, after all, I'm, I'm a senator. I'm, uh, I'm O.J. Simpson. I'm, uh, I'm an experienced, highly polished individual. I've got a lot of experience with public relations, even criminal defense attorneys. There was a local news story here in the Virginia pilot just a couple of months ago about an experienced criminal defense lawyer who ended up getting convicted of criminal assault because he talked to the police. He was accused of having assaulted another attorney in the hallway. There were no other witnesses to this. A woman said that he grabbed her by the throat during an argument over a case. He denied it. Uh, at trial, it was his word against hers. He said, I did not even touch her. But unfortunately for him, when the police had approached him earlier and said, would you be willing to answer some questions? He said, sure, why not? I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I'm savvy. I'm sophisticated. I've got oratorical prowess. I'm, I'm accustomed to dealing with the police, by all means. And then there was a conversation that was not recorded. When the case went to trial, it was no longer his word against hers, because when he testified at trial, I never touched her. The officer took her to the stand and testified, well, when I met with him, he said he did put his hand on her throat, but just as a joke. Then he had to take the stand again and say, that's not true. I never said that. I never admitted to you that I, now it's his word against two people. Who's telling the truth? We'll never know for sure. But he was found guilty. Now, here's part of the problem. The heart of the problem, as Justice Breyer on the U.S. Supreme Court explained in 1998, is, quote, the complexity of modern federal criminal law codified in several thousand sections of the United States Code and the virtually infinite variety of factual circumstances that might trigger an investigation into a possible violation of the law make it difficult for anyone to know in advance just when a particular set of statements might later appear to a prosecutor to be relevant to some investigation. Uh, one expert on criminal law recently noted that estimates of the current size of the body of federal criminal law vary, although it has been reported that the Congressional Research Service can no longer even count the current number of federal crimes. That's right. Even the federal government has lost count. These laws are scattered over all 50 pages of the U.S. Code, encompassing roughly 27,000 pages. Worse yet, these statutes often incorporate by reference to the provisions of administrative regulations. Estimates of how many such regulations exist are even less well settled, although the ABA thinks there may be nearly 10,000. Here's one of those 10,000 federal criminal statutes on the book that you probably never heard about. It's called the Lacey Act, 16 U.S.C. Section 3370, says that the federal offense for any person to import, export, transport, sell, receive, acquire, or purchase any fish or wildlife or plant taken, possessed, transported, or sold in the violation of any law, treaty, or regulation of the United States or any Indian tribal law or any state or any foreign law. People have been convicted in federal court for violating this statute because they brought back a bony fish from Honduras, not knowing that Honduran law, not American, but Honduran law, forbade the possession of the bony fish. People have been convicted under the list law because they were found in possession of a, what's called a short lobster. A lobster that's under a certain size. Some states forbid you from possessing a lobster if he's under a certain length. It doesn't matter if he's dead or alive. It doesn't matter if you killed it or if he died of natural causes. It doesn't even matter if you acted in self-defense. Did you know that? Did you know it could be a federal offense to be in possession of a lobster? Admit it. Raise your hand if you did not know that. There's the problem. And that's only one of 10,000 different ways. You know, the government gets pretty upset when people like me instruct the client, people like me and Justice Jackson. Don't talk to the police. Don't answer any questions. But, you know, they can't have it both ways. You people, you've got 10,000 different ways of convicting us. Good for you. But, you know, with the bitter comes to the sweet, with the good comes to the bad. That's 10,000 different ways my client might unknowingly implicate himself in some sort of a criminal transaction. One of the reasons I decided to give this talk, I recently received a phone call from a former student of mine, a regional law school graduate, who may be watching this online. We're putting it on the Internet. And he told me, hey, I've been approached by the Internal Revenue Service. They want to ask me a couple of questions. They ask if I'd be willing to. Uh, but they say that I'm not a suspect. And I know in my heart I don't think I've done anything wrong in violation of the Internal Revenue Service provisions. Lord have mercy. 
There's no man on earth. There's no, there's no woman in this country who can honestly say with complete confidence, I know I have never violated any provision of the Internal Revenue Code. He said, but, but they, they say I'm not a suspect, and I know I've done nothing wrong. It's okay if I talk to him. I said, no, no. You tell them you will not talk to them without immunity. I explained to him why that was true, and they never, he never heard from them again. <laughs> okay, why you should never talk to the police. Let me just spell it out for you. Let me make it plain to all of you. These are the top ten reasons. I, I don't want to assuredly lie to you. I don't really have ten. I don't have time for ten. But I've got time for eight, and that'll be close enough. <laughs> Number one, and this really ought to be good enough. Contrary to what you laymen instinctively and naturally suppose, it cannot help. There is no way it can help you. Plenty of folks think that it can, and they're always wrong. You cannot talk your way out of getting arrested. Officer Brooke. You've interviewed thousands of criminal suspects. Have you ever, how many times in your experience have you approached someone, asked if you could ask them some questions because prior to the interview you had some evidence pointing to his possible guilt? And because of the extraordinary persuasiveness and eloquence with which he articulated his innocence, you said, oh, sorry, never mind. Bad call, my bad, I won't. And you, he talks you out of arresting him. Uh, you know the answer. <laughs> never. Never. It never happens. I've often asked other criminal defense attorneys, in all of your experience, have you ever once had a case where you looked back in hindsight and said, thank God my client talked to the police? They laugh at me. They laugh at me. They say, you've got to be kidding me. It cannot help you. You can't talk your way out of getting arrested. And contrary to what you might suppose if you never studied the rules of evidence, what you tell the police, even if it's exculpatory, cannot be used to help you at trial. Because it's what we call hearsay. Under the rules of evidence, specifically Rule 801D2A, if you want to look it up, uh, everything you tell the police, as the saying goes, can and will be used against you, but it cannot be used for you. From time to time, I've known attorneys who tried to call to the stand a police officer and say, Officer, would you tell the jury what my client told you because what my client told him is actually good for my case? If you tried that at trial, the prosecutor will object that it's hearsay, and the judge will agree. The police will not be allowed, at your request, to tell the jury what your client told him, no matter how good it may be for your case. It cannot help. And that ought to be good enough reason. That ought to be reason enough to keep your mouth shut. But if you're not persuaded, let me go talk about a couple of others. Number two, obviously one of the most obvious, if your client is guilty, as many of them are, but even if he's not, even if he's innocent, he may well admit his guilt with no benefit in return. Now, of course, many of you are thinking to yourself, well, what's so wrong about that? I mean, shouldn't guilty people be confessing? Confession's good for the soul. It's good for law enforcement. It's good for the prisons. Yes, yeah, sure, all those things are true. And like the rest of you, if I or anyone close to me is ever the victim of some sort of a serious crime, I hope they get the right guy. I hope they convict him. I hope they put him away. We all feel that way. Hey, but what's the rush, friends? You don't got to admit your guilt the first time they come by to meet with you. In federal court, 86% of all defendants plead guilty at some point before trial. If your client is guilty and really ought to punish and really ought to have a, uh, go through some sort of a cleansing act of contrition and confess up and admit his guilt, there'll be plenty of time to do that. They almost always do. No need to rush, no need to tell the police something. Wait and see if we, perhaps your client can work out some sort of an arrangement where maybe he'll make some sort of compensation to the alleged victim or maybe he'll be able to get some sort of a discount in his sentence. And he'll be able to treat, he'll be treated fairly then like everybody else who had the benefit of a good lawyer who said, please do not talk to the police. And don't forget, by the way, even if, even if your client only admits things that the police already knew, you might think, well, what harm can it do? He says he wants to talk to the police. All he wants to do is admit that he was there, but the cops know that he was there. All right, go ahead and tell him. Well, how can it hurt? It might hurt if the police officer becomes transferred to Minnesota or deceased or injured or comatose or cannot be located by the time of trial. The case will be dismissed if there's no confession. But if your client admits two things, uh, that confession is freely admissible against him and can be a basis for getting him convicted all by himself. Senator Larry Craig can explain all of this to you. <laughs> the innocence 
project of the United States has confirmed that in more than 25% of all the cases where an innocent man was convicted and then later released from prison after he was exonerated by DNA evidence, in more than a quarter of those cases, these innocent people, people we know to be innocent, made incriminating statements, delivered outright confessions, or pled guilty. How do they do that? He'll tell us all about it, I trust. Here's a couple of famous examples. You can just ask them. You don't have to take my word for it. There on the left was Eddie Joe Lloyd. He was convicted in 1984 of the murder of a 16-year-old girl in Detroit after he wrote to police with suggestions on how to solve various recent crimes. During several interviews, police fed details of the crime to Mr. Lloyd, who was mentally ill, and they lied to him and convinced this mentally ill man that by confessing, he might help them smoke out the real killer. He later signed a confession and gave a tape-recorded statement. The jury delivered it less than one hour before convicting him on the basis of this confession. There was no other substantial evidence against him. The judge said, I'd hang you if I could, but the death penalty was not available in Michigan at the time. But after almost two decades in prison, he was released after DNA evidence proved that this man was innocent and had falsely committed to confess to a crime that he did not commit. On the right is Earl Washington, who was released from prison just a few years ago here in Virginia. After spending 18 years behind bars, for, after being committed of a rape and a murder that we now know he did not commit after having been exonerated by DNA evidence. But be this man, Mr. Washington, who was in fact confirmed to be mentally retarded, was able to confess to several crimes at the request of the police, some of which we know he could not have committed. That's the problem. Some of you are thinking to yourself, well, none of this concerns me because I'm not guilty of anything and I never will be and I will never represent people who do. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk to you people, you innocent folks. Those of you who have never committed a crime and never will, and none of your clients will either. And, no, and you wouldn't go out with a girl who did. Fine. You better not talk to the police either, okay? Because number three, we'll put the guilty behind us. Forget about them. Let's talk about innocent people. Number three, even if your client is innocent and he denies his guilt and almost entirely tells the truth, odds are good he will easily get carried away and tell some little lie or make some little mistake that will hang him. This is human nature. He gets in there with a stressful situation. Imagine a perfectly innocent client. The police say he's been guilty of a murder. He's totally innocent, as innocent as any one of us. So he goes in there and he meets with the police. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I, w I was nowhere near there. I, I, I didn't kill him. I've never killed anybody. I don't have a gun. I've never had a gun. I've never touched a gun in my life. I was nowhere near Virginia Beach that, li that, that night. Uh, eh, eh. That last line was a lie. He went over the top. He was getting carried away. He got into this groove. He started saying all kinds of things, almost all of them true, that he knew would tend to exculpate himself then he got carried away and just said one thing that wasn't true, and unfortunately for him, they can prove that it wasn't true. He may be convicted on that basis alone. But let's say, you, let's say, well, that's not a problem. I'll tell my client only to tell the truth. I, if I've met with him, I know he won't lie to the police. He won't make any mistakes. Okay, that's still no guarantee you won't be getting into trouble. Because even if your client is innocent and only tells the truth, it doesn't say anything that is false. Now, already, mind you, we're pretty well nigh into fantasy land. The odds of this being, anybody being able to pull this off are really quite slim, no matter how innocent they may be. But just for the same, let's pretend. Let's assume he gives the police nothing but the truth, and he is totally innocent. He will always give the police some information that can be used to help convict him. Always. For example, suppose you tell this to the police. Here's what your client tells to the police in his denial of guilt. I don't know what you're talking about. I, would, I didn't kill Jones. I don't know who did. I wasn't anywhere near that place. I don't have a gun. I've never owned a gun in my life. I don't even know how to use a gun. Yeah, sure, I never liked the guy, but who did? I wouldn't kill him. I've never hurt anybody in my life, and I would never do such a thing. Let's suppose every word of that is true. 100% of it is true. What will the jury hear at trial? Officer Brooke, was there anything about this, your interrogation, your interview with the suspect that made you concerned that he might be the right one? Yes, there was. He confessed to me that he never liked the guy. And then the prosecutor will put that up in big letters and he'll say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's pretty clear that we've got the right guy here. We've proven that he was in Virginia Beach that night. That's opportunity. And remember, Officer Brooke admitted that after extended questioning, he was finally able to get the defendant to admit that he never liked the guy. There's your motive. Motive plus opportunity. Wham, bam. Please. 
<laughs> but juries eat it up. And innocent people get convicted this way sometimes. How often? Hopefully not too often, but we know what happens. The United States Supreme Court, don't take my word for this, in Ohio versus Ryan, the Supreme Court of the United States said, quote, one of the Fifth Amendment's basic functions is to protect innocent men who otherwise might be ensnared by ambiguous circumstances. Truthful responses of an innocent witness, as well as those of a wrongdoer, may provide the government with incriminating evidence from the speaker's own mouth. See, it's not just some criminal defense attorney telling you this. Even the Supreme Court says I'm right. In the fact, under the facts of that case, by the way, in Ohio versus Rhino, a child tragically was died, apparently the result of shaken baby syndrome. The question was who had shaken this baby to death. And one of the possible suspects was a babysitter who had spent some time with the child that week. The babysitter's story was, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I did not kill the child. I, don't see, I did not see it happen. I don't know who shook the baby. It was never me. I never did anything of any violent nature to the child. The Ohio State Court said, well, you've got no Fifth Amendment privilege. You, by your own admission, told the investigators that you've done nothing wrong, that you were not involved. So obviously your answers can't incriminate you. The United States Supreme Court reversed and said, well, that's not true. Even though the ch this babysitter denies shaking the child, denies seeing the child die, denying knowing, denies knowing how the child died, this babysitter, by her own admission, apparently was being, was, the, the government wanted to ask whether the babysitter might have been with the child at some point that week, during the week prior to the death. And that answer, although by itself not sufficient to convict anybody, could help convict her. That means she's got a Fifth Amendment right to refuse to answer to the question the court held, because it could be used to help convict. Allman versus United States, the Supreme Court said more than 50 years ago, eerily prophetic, they said too many Americans, even those who should be better advised, view this privilege as a shelter for wrongdoers. They too readily assume that those who invoke it are either guilty of crime or commit perjury in claiming the privilege. That's not true and it never has been. But it gets worse. Can it get worse? It can. Number five, even if your client is innocent and only tells her the truth and does not tell the police anything incriminating, which by the way is almost impossible to pull this off. I mean, imagine talking to the police for two, three, four hours, and, and somebody like him can't somehow manage to extract from you something that could be used to help convict you. That would be extraordinary. I don't think anybody's pulled it off. But even if you could pull it off, there's still a grave chance that his answers can and will be used to crucify you in a court of law if the police, no offense, don't recall his testimony with 100% accuracy. All right, now this brings us back to that pop quiz I warned you about. I told you earlier, remember, it's only been a few minutes, and you weren't up all night, and you weren't the subject of physical duress. You were in the relaxed setting of a classroom here. You were given heads up, advance notice that you would be quizzed on this. Question. We'll start with a couple of easy ones. Remember that article I read to you about that? How many people did the police find shot to death last night at that Ocean View apartment that I told you about? A, 1, B, 2, C, 3, D, 4. Who says A? B. C. Get this. Get that with a camera. Show us. Get this. Move that camera on. Look how many hands we've got there for C. Okay. D. You're all wrong. Everybody who raised their hand, everybody who raised their hand, uh, you are the kind of people who should never talk to the police under any circumstances for as long as you live. Why is C not the right answer, by the way? If you know, raise your hand. Yes? Excellent. I didn't say anybody was shot. I didn't say gun, bullet, shooting, firearms. Didn't use any of those words. But I don't blame you if you thought that I did. This is the way the human mind works. We hear things. We fill in details. I said gangland-style slang. That may or may not imply something, but it doesn't mean that anybody was shot. And that's the problem. You see, even if your client is innocent and only tells the truth and doesn't tell them anything incriminating, and his statement is videotaped, his answers can be used to crucify him. You might say, wait, how can that happen? 
I insisted, in my insistence, I called the police and I said, look, if you want to talk to my client, you can talk to him, but only if you videotape the whole thing. I don't want there to be any debate between the two of you over what happened. Okay, we'll videotape the whole thing. If the police don't recall their questions with 100% accuracy, he'll be convicted on that statement alone. For example, suppose a man goes to the police, they say we're investigating a possible murder, a shooting. And the guy says, quote, I don't know who killed Jones, Officer Brooke, with all due respect. I, it wasn't me. I've never touched or fired a gun in my life. How can that help incriminate this man? How could that possibly be used against this man to help convict him? You would think it's inconceivable. But it's as easy as pie. All the officer has to do is read the statement to the jury, and then the prosecutor says, Officer Brooke, was there anything about that statement that confused you or surprised you? Yes, there was, he says in a moment of sinister high drama in the courtroom. And what was that? And then Officer Brooke turns to the jurors and he says, I never said anything about a shooting. I said we were investigating a murder. He was the one who brought up a gun. Then you turn to your client, and your client says, that's not true, that's not true. I remember he was the one, or one of the cops, I was with them for three hours, one of them in the car said something about, they said they had a witness that I was the shooter. Okay, I'll put you on the stand. And then the, the, your client testifies, no, 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 they did tell me shooting. I mentioned, they mentioned it before I said anything about a gun. They brought it up first. And then the police said, that's not true. And now what, it's your word against theirs? For what? You're gambling with your client's life. And police officers can very easily make a mistake like that, just as so many of you did just a few minutes ago, about whether you recalled having heard me say something about somebody actually being shot. Police make mistakes, innocently, inadvertently, unintentionally, any statement, no matter how exculpatory it may seem on its face, can be used to crucify you all by itself if the police are either willing to lie, not likely, or if they just have an innocent misrecollection of the details as to what they did and did not tell you before you told them what you said. All of these, by the way, all of these problems disappear if you take Justice Jackson's advice and say, thank you very much, officer, but no thanks. <laughs> how about this one? Here we go. Now, here's the most surprising of all. I've saved the most surprising one for a last. Let's suppose you've got the following scenario. Your client's thinking about talking to the police. He acts like, he says, I've got nothing to hide. They think that I killed somebody in Virginia Beach last night. Well, we're, and, and, this is what, and this is what your client tells you in confidence. I don't know who robbed that store. It wasn't me. In fact, I've got a pretty good alibi. I wasn't even in Virginia Beach that night, last night. I was four hours away visiting my mother in the Outer Banks. Unfortunately, no, I did not pay for gas with a credit card. I used cash, and so I've got no witnesses that can prove I was there except my word, and of course, Mama, for what that's worth, which is nothing. Uh, but uh, so your client says, well, so the police want to talk to me, and I want to seem cooperative, so what I'll do is I'll tell them that I was in the Outer Banks last night. Now, there's nothing on his face incriminating about any of that. Let's assume, by the way, that you believe with all your doubt you've given your client a polygraph exam. You've known him for years. You've been going to the same Bible study for 30 years. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's telling you the truth. And he's not admitting anything. He's not admitting motive. He's not admitting opportunity. He's not admitting that he was there. How on earth could this come back to haunt us? How on earth could this come back to be used against us? Be honest. Raise your hand if you really think the answer to that question is, I can't see how it could possibly be used against me. You're afraid I'll call on you, right? I won't call on you. Well, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. You're always wrong. Everything you say, every time you talk to the police, you will regret it. You see, the problem is, here it is. This is the last point. I think it's almost Even if your client is innocent and only tells the truth and doesn't tell the police anything incriminating, and the entire interview, questions and answers are, are videotaped, your, even his truthful answers can be helped to use crucify even an innocent man if the police, through no fault of theirs, end up in the possession of any evidence, even mistaken and unreliable evidence, that anything your client told them was false, even if in fact it was true. Again, going back to this example from a moment ago. Let's suppose I, tell, I go ahead and I meet with the police. I think I got nothing to hide. I tell them I was in the Outer Banks last night, officer. How can that be used to convict me? By itself, it cannot. It cannot help at all by itself. But what if I later find out, to my horror, after I put my cards on the table, that they've got a witness, a girl that I went to high school with, 
an unimpeachable witness. We've never been enemies. She'd have no reason to lie. She swears she thinks she saw me in Virginia Beach last night, a couple of blocks away from that store, about an hour before it was robbed. Now, her testimony by itself isn't going to help the prosecutor. Help! if she's all they've got, I'll get this case thrown out before trial. But if, like an idiot, I talked to the police and I told them the truth, I told them I was in the Outer Banks, and now, lo and behold, tragically, it turns out they've got a witness, a false, mistaken, confused, but sincere and credible witness, who can testify that I was here in Virginia Beach, now they're likely to get a conviction. Because what they'll do, I've just turned this cop and this woman into the government star witness. They'll put her, hell, they'll put Officer Fruk on to testify about how my client lied to him about being in the Outer Banks. And then they'll put on this girl, this is the girl who otherwise would have not even helped with her case at all, who will testify, no, that's not true, that was a lie. I saw Mr. Dwayne's client here in Virginia an hour before the robbery, not so far from the store. By herself, she would not have helped the government in any significant way. But what I have just done, you see, is given them the other part of the puzzle. And now I'm doomed. Just ask them. I, I, close, I close with this example. Here we have a couple of recent celebrity examples of why it is that even people who admit nothing always end up denying it. I mean, sorry, they always end up regretting it. On the left, we have Martha Stewart. She was the victim, the subject, of an extensive government investigation that was looking into the possibility that she was guilty of violations of certain federal laws, security laws, fraud kinds of things. They couldn't pin that on her, but they were able to get a conviction because she denied it. Talking to the police and later to some of the shareholders, she said, no, it's not true. I was not guilty. So they charged her with lying to federal investigators, and they got a conviction, and she was sentenced to five months in prison. Marion Jones on the right side, another person who would still be out today if she had always uh, uh, taken the advice that I'm giving you now. She was asked if she had ever used a steroid, a controlled substance. And instead of taking the fifth, she said, no, I, I never took steroids when I won those Olympic gold medals. Uh, Later on, it turned out that she was lying. She worked out a deal. She pled guilty. She admitted that she was lying. And she, over her strenuous, tearful objection, even though she has two young children, was just recently sentenced to prison for six months. The guy who sold her the steroids, the pusher, he got only four months. But she got six months because she lied to the police and said that she did not do it. You see the problem. Michael Vick, who originally pled guilty, as you know, to these charges with respect to the operation of this dog uh, combat sort of operation at his home. Uh, at sentencing, like many other criminal defendants, even though he eventually pled guilty at sentencing, one of, the things, one of the reasons his sentence was a little harder than it might have otherwise been, the judge said, was because when he initially met with the police, he lied to them and said, I didn't do anything. I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. Even guilty people, but not only guilty people, will always end up regretting talking to the police. Um, so my advice to you, Justice Jackson was right. Any sane, competent lawyer in his right mind will always tell every client under all circumstances, I don't care if you're innocent. I don't care if it's the truth. If it's the truth, great. We'll tell the jury all about it. There'll be time enough to put our cards on the table. But before we get there, I haven't seen yet what the police got. They may have mistaken and confused witnesses who will contradict even the truthful stuff that you say. We have no way to know, no way to predict whether the information that you give them, even if truthful and reliable, will end up unwittingly dispelling our demise. So keep your mouth shut. Don't answer any questions. Let's take the fifth. You'll be glad that you did. God bless America. God bless the, bless the Bill of Rights and the geniuses who bequeathed it to us. But now, in fairness, I give equal time, or what's left of equal time, <laughs> to a police officer who will explain to the extent to which, if any, he agrees or disagrees with anything I've got to say. I, didn't, I have no idea to know what, what he's going to say, but it'll be interesting. Here, let me give him the microphone. Give, let's give him a hand. <laughs> officer George Group, the Virginia Beach Police Department. I cannot talk that fast. <laughs> Not even interviewing. I'm going to take the podium here, Professor. So I took notes on some of the things you said. And everything he said was true. Okay? And it was right and it was correct. <laughs>
And I'm just going to give you a few ideas. I'm going to tell you a few examples, but first I'm going to give you a little information. Uh, as was said earlier, I've interviewed thousands of people. I've interviewed people with foreign police departments. When I was in the Navy, I was in law enforcement, and uh, I was a criminal investigator. Thank God we're in the United States because most interviews in Italy, Spain, and so forth start out physically. Okay, there's no police uh, police abuse over there. They can do pretty much what they want, anytime they want, anyhow they want. So, just be aware of that and be thankful for you. Biggest question I was asked when I first I am a 3L, and there's some of my classmates in here. Best day is coming up May 10th when we get to leave. So those of you that are applying, and, and I told a couple of people this, you think it's hard getting into law school? Try getting out. Okay. Couple of things I was asked. How do I quit from getting speeding tickets? Very easy question. Quit speeding. Okay. But something Professor Dwayne brought up, are any of you guilty of anything? How many of you drove here today? Anybody go above 55 on the interstate? Anybody drive at home and go above 55 on the interstate? Because if you, if you stay... And there, and there you go. And people are inherently honest, and that's their biggest downfall. Okay, they, they really are. Or they want to tell their story. And if you drive 55 on the interstate where it's 55, the only thing you're going to do is meet the person behind you because they're going to rear end you and you're going to get run over. Okay, so that, that's a fact. But everybody does something that they can get in trouble for. I can follow as a police officer when I was uniform. I could follow a car however long I needed to, and eventually they're going to do something illegal, and I can pull them over, and justifiably illegal to pull them over with. So just be aware of that. Don't, don't think you're so innocent in such a thing. Uh, when you get stopped for a traffic ticket, everyone likes to be somewhat honest. And what's the first thing the police officer asks you? Do you know how fast you're going? If the speed limit's 35, you'll say, oh, 38, 40, because you want to be kind of honest even though you're doing 50. <laughs> you just said 38, 40. You just admitted to breaking the law. You just confessed. So they can go to court with that, with a confession, that you were exceeding the speed limit. Okay, so think. you need to think about those things, and when you do become defense attorneys, which I may, who knows, you need to think about those things for your client. The other thing you need to think about your client, and this is going to seem very terse, people are stupid. Your clients are stupid. And I've had defense attorneys come up to me, matter of fact, one on a uh, motion to suppress just Tuesday, come up to me and tell me his client was stupid. Okay? They're very straightforward. They do foolish things. They talk to the police. You, got, you guys need to be aware of that. Now, in my past, and it wasn't exaggerated, I have interviewed thousands of people. I have a, uh, I've arrested and dealt with over 1,000 felonies. Well, actually, more than 1,000 felonies. Probably about 20, or, yeah, about 1,000 felonies, 2,500 misdemeanors, 98% of a conviction rate, 80% of them I don't even have to go to court. Why? Because there's confessions because they confess. So these, these people have no problem. The hardened criminals have no problem talking to the police. People like to tell their story. And they'll sit in that room and think about it. You're picked up by the police. You're in a little room. There's one chair here. There's a desk. There's another chair. What's the thing you want the most right at that point? To get out of that room. To be out of that room. Think the police officer's, police officer's shift is ending in 15 minutes. Does the police officer want to get out of that room? 
My overtime rate's $58 an hour. Do I want to get out of that room? I have no problem. I'll stay there for 10 hours. I'll, I'll take that $600. Okay, so I have no motivation to want to leave. You do, and that's, that's how we get you to try to talk. I have my job. My job is to develop probable cause, develop a good case. A great case is a case with a confession. Get it to the Commonwealth attorney so that they can prosecute the case with little, if any, effort. And the Commonwealth attorneys love those cases, the little and any effort, because they come with a stack of files that high in court every day. So they love those cases. That's my job. The defense attorney's job is to hope they get to their client before I do and make sure they don't talk to me, no matter what. Give you an example, and this will go right along with what Professor Duane was putting up his examples. I had an interview that went something like this. Were you involved in the burglaries? No, I had nothing to do with them. You didn't have anything to do with them? No. You were in a car with all this stolen stuff in it? You had nothing to do about it? No. You knew it was there? Yeah. Okay, now we got possession of stolen property, felony, okay? But you had nothing to do with it? No. So what did you need the money for? Well, I had to pay some of my court costs from another thing I got in trouble for. Oh, so he took the money from stealing the stuff. I have enough to charge him now with burglary. Simple as that. Well, did you see the picture on that camera of the house with the uh, Christmas decorations? This is a real case scenario. Yeah, did you go in that house? No, I didn't go into that one. <laughs> so there's ways around it. There's ways to get around people who try not to talk to you. And again, as Professor Duane said, if you wanted to go and say you wanted to go into a boxing match, $100 if you win. You've never boxed before. You have to face somebody who's an Olympic boxer. If you're going to lose. You're going to face somebody who's been interviewing people for, in my case, 28 years. They're going to lose, unless you're purely innocent. Now, on the other side of it, I don't want to put anyone that's innocent in jail. But I try not to bring anyone into the interview room that's innocent. And there are a couple that I have let walk away because they were innocent. Okay, the interviews. How do we approach the interviews? There's a number of ways to approach interviews. There's a number of types of people that I deal with. First thing I do, anyone know what they get told first when they're in an interview? Miranda. Miranda warning. Okay, it's not a right. You don't have a right to Miranda. Those rights have always been there. It's called the Constitution. You're just teaching. You're doing a real quick class on the Constitution for these people. Usually they don't listen to it. And this is the way I give my Miranda warning. Look, I have to tell you this. Just pay attention. Okay, they're usually sitting back or they're very attentive. You have the right to remain silent. You understand that? Yes. Anything you say may be used against you in a court. I don't have to say it will be. I say it may be. Okay, and they get that. You have a right to an attorney, and if you can't afford one, one may be appointed to represent you. Got that. You can decide not to talk, quit talking to me at any time and exercise these rights. Do you understand that? Sure. Now, before I do the primary thing that's needed with those rights, that's to get a waiver, I say, now, before you say anything, let me tell you what I know. And over all the time I've had to put together what this individual was supposedly involved in, and I only say supposedly because Professor Duane's sitting over there, <laughs> that this individual was involved in, I will tell the story that I've put together, and it'll be pretty close to what happened. And I can see that it's pretty close to what happened because that individual starts slumping down in their chair, they'll put their hand to their face, doing this in their mind, oh my God, I'm going to jail forever, okay? 
and I can see it. I said, now that you know what I know, do you want to talk to me? And why do I do that? Because if I didn't do that, is if I said, do you want to talk to me, they'll say no. So I give them the time to think about, and then comes the next phrase. Now, before you start talking to me, let me tell you the difference between a lie and a truth. If you lie to me, and I get before the judge, and I tell the judge that you were dishonest with me, that's just not going to make them happy. But if I get before the judge and tell them you're honest, straightforward, willing to take uh, responsibility for your actions, that is going to help you. That's not a lie, though. That is true. In Virginia Beach courts, it will help them. You know, they may not get five years. They may get three years. They're still going to prison, or they're still going to have a felony, but it will help them. And then I have to determine what kind of person I have. And there's two types. There's the one, like I mentioned to you earlier, where I have to talk to them, talk to them about different things, get into their own skin, as the word is, and try and get them to talk to me and discuss things. I had a sexual assault case. I had to talk to the guy how hot the woman was, and I understand where he was coming from. And when, that, when I said that, we were buzzed. And he started talking to me. And he's still sitting in prison. Okay? So you've got to get in there and you've got to go places. The other side is, I can't try and act like that individual acts. Okay? I can't try and act like what we call lovingly a hood rat. I can't try and act and talk like him. Because I'm an older white guy. We don't talk like that, and that would be an insult. And you can't insult people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they grew up. It doesn't matter where they're from. You can't insult people like that. You have to be yourself. So you have to get in, into their mindset and the way they're thinking and have a discussion with them. The other type of person is the one that likes to tell a story. This young man, great man. I, I love him to death. He didn't go to jail because I went to bat for him because I felt sorry for him. He was a newlywed. He was having money problems. Former Marine. I said, tell me what happened. And he told me this beautiful story about what happened. What he had done is he had sold a piece of equipment that his ex-employer had had that he had stolen. He told me the beautiful story of what happened about him finding it on the side of the road and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't even question about him after he finished his whole story. Very unplausible, but very beautiful story. I sat there and listened to it for 15 minutes. I looked at him and I said, you stole the stuff from your boss, didn't you? Yes, sir, I did. <laughs> I had nothing. I really had nothing except the fact that he had sold it. So there's, there's those types of people. And then the third type, the one who tries to be the hood, who tries to be the criminal, who cries like a baby when they walk into jail, but when they're on the street, they're as tough, tough as rocks. You go in there with your paperwork, you sit down, and you just start doing paperwork. And usually I have a videotape sitting on top of it just for measure, so they think I have a videotape. And you just sit there. Don't tell them Miranda. Just sit there and wait for them to start talking, because they will. They want to talk. People want to communicate. They hate silence. That's why when people speak, you hear, uh, hmm, when they're talking, because they need to fill that void with something. People hate silence. So that's the other one. A couple tricks of the trade, and I'll share this with you for when you may go in an interview room. If you're going to be attorneys, it could happen. Uh, videotapes are wonderful things. I use a tape recorder. How many of you think if you saw a tape recorder, that would make you not want to talk? <laughs> yeah. They talk, and this is how I do it. I bring the tape recorder and say, 
Look, I'm going to use this recorder because my writing's terrible. I can't read it if I write it down, so I'm going to use this. Is that all right with you? Don't have to ask me. Is that all right? Yeah, no problem. So I turn it on. And they watch the tape recorder. And if I have a problem with the interview, I'll say, I want to talk to you for a second, just off the record. Everyone here off the record? It's like a unicorn. No such thing. <laughs> I pick up the tape recorder. I pick up the tape recorder and I go click and turn it off and set it right in front of them. And they look at the tape to make sure it's not turning. Interview rooms have microphones in them and video cameras. And everything that happens in there is recorded. My tape means nothing because I'm recording it anyways. And then I start talking to them quietly. And they start telling me stuff. And they start, they do something like that, except it's crying. <laughs> More crying. So that's another way. So, so you see how there's an unlevel playing field here. Even with, with the most educated individual, there's an unlevel playing field. If you talk to the police, everything's going to be written down. If you get pulled over for, for a, a ticket, they give you the ticket, and you pull off. You ever see the cop pull off right after you? Usually not. That's because on the back of their ticket, they're writing down everything you said. And it's going to come into court if you go to court. Everything that's said, I write down. Every phone call I make has to have a listening device on it. Is that illegal? How many parties need to know that a uh, phone conversation in Virginia is being recorded? One. Me. I knew it was recorded. I get many, many confessions over the phone. Okay, back to the people. Yes, they're stupid. Okay, people are stupid. I had a young man who told me straight up, I'm going to college. I'm going to law school. I'm too smart. You'll never find out what happened. Okay. He was going to uh, Tidewater Community College. The law school love, I suppose. Tidewater Community College. <laughs> he was the partner to the one who I told you the interview about just a little while ago where I would ask him what he needed the money for. He was his partner. And he was very smart. So he thought. He thought he was a very intelligent individual. I ended up arresting him five times out of his house. His mother hated me. She liked me the first time. She apologized. She didn't really like me much the second time. It got to the point where she really hated me after that. He's doing eight years upstate. He's very smart because he decided to tell me how smart he was and in telling me how smart he was, he let it slip that he doesn't sell stolen stuff to pawn shops. He sells it to flea markets because they do not have to report to the state. I know how to drive to a flea market just as good as anyone else and go look for stuff that I'm looking for. So he was trying to impress me with his ability to be smarter than I was, and he confessed. So people are inherently... Uh, stupid, especially criminals. Now, and don't get me wrong, there are some very intelligent criminals out there, and most of them work in really big office buildings and for suits. <laughs> yep, she went to jail. Is she hurting? No. Uh, but there are some very intelligent street criminals out there as well that get other people to do their bidding and so forth and so on, and people are afraid to turn on them. But there are some very foolish people. Uh, just a couple other things. 
I do a thing usually with younger people, usually between the age of, uh, I try not to deal too much with juveniles, but between the age of 16 and, and 25, is once they've talked to me. Now, let's back up a little bit. You don't need a recording in court for a statement. As Professor Duane said, it's his word against my word if he was a defendant. Number one, and this is the way it works, and this is the way the real world works, in case you guys haven't been out there, that's outside the windows out there. The jury looks at a defendant sitting next to a, pros a uh, defense attorney. That's strike one, because the jury is already looking at that, some as that being someone who did something that put them in that chair. Number two, they get a uniformed police officer up there. They get someone wearing a suit as a detective up there that is a professional witness. That's strike two. So now they have a professional witness against them. And then if they've confessed and that professional witness is going to sit there and read from his or her notes, the confession, that's strike three, go get your orange jumpsuit, do not pass go, do not collect $200. So they have all the strikes against them. And I know you're innocent until proven guilty, but it's a jury of your peers. And the perception is if you're sitting next to a defense attorney, you have to prove you're innocent. And that's, that's just the perception of a lot of the jury, no matter how many jury instructions they get they still perceive that person is a hoodlum, is a criminal. And no matter how hard some defense attorneys try to put their clients in suits and have them sit up at the table, if the trial is a long trial, they fall back to their old ways and they start acting and speaking in a way that's not very good for their case. So saying that, you don't have to have a recording. My suppression hearing, a statement was trying to be suppressed because when I record, a confession or an interview, because we don't do interrogation, the police. We do not do interrogation. That's a bad, mean, Nazi kind of word, okay? We do interviews, okay? And you'd be amazed how much difference it makes when you use that one, one word, vice's interrogation. I'll take it off the tape, and I'll have my secretary put it to paper. Immediately afterwards, I'll take that tape, and I'll scan it over my magnet, throw it in my box, so I can use it again. I do not keep the tape. It is not evidence. It's not required to be evidence. It is there. If it's there for the court, it's just extra. You don't have to have that. But it's really good to have. The suppression hearing, he tried to suppress that after I testified. The defense counsel stood up and says, well, judge, I really don't have anything to say. And the judge, Judge Canada, said motion denied. And let's move on and go to court. So you don't have to have recordings. You don't have to have videotapes. The police videotapes. That's just extra. If you got that police officer sitting there testifying, you don't have to have that videotape. You got the guy that was right there to tell you what happened. But it's always nice to have those extra things. And what I do for these young people is I'll say, look, the person who you broke into their house are very upset. They're very angry because you sold their stuff to the pawn shop. Pawn shop stuff sold them. They don't get their stuff back. They're very angry. They want you to go to prison. Okay? They may be very angry. They want you to go to prison. They may want to. To lessen that, that's the start of what's commonly known as a lie because we are allowed to lie in interviews. To lessen that, you might want to make them happy. And the reason that's a lie is because when it is a felony in Commonwealth of Virginia, the victim has nothing to do with the prosecution or how long the people go to prison or any of that kind of stuff. We're prosecuting them, not the victim. But to lessen that, what I'd like you to do is write an apology letter to the person whose house you broke into. 
Just write it out. Well, how do I write it? In your own words, just write, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. Then say that, you know, when I broke into your house the other night, whatever. They write it out. They sign it. I sign it as a witness. I put the date and the time that it was written. I give it to the Commonwealth's attorney. It's entered as evidence as a written confession in the person's own handwriting. I don't type it up again and have them sign it. In their handwriting, a written confession. Is that person going to get convicted? I have never seen them not get convicted on that, on an apology letter. So in support of Professor Duane, everything he says is right. That's what I do. Now, to take away the support, I don't try and send innocent people to jail. That's it. That's all I have. Any questions or anything like that? Sir? Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Adisk, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Thursday, July 9th, 2015. Wendy Wilson will be joining us here in just a few minutes, but first, I'm going to say adieu to Al. How do you adieu? do, Al? Adieu? Isn't adieu, doesn't that mean goodbye? Adieu? No, I, I don't know. No, it doesn't. Like, uh, yeah, it does. It means it's like adios. It means. Well, I am going to adios. It means. Well, I am going to adios. I'm going to adios right into the market report. Mm. So there. All right. So there's a, a little bit to that line of conversation. There was a little bit of a ado to the gold market today, although not bad. Up two thirty. <laughs> we'll take it. 
1161 for gold. We have silver up 32. A nice little recovery for silver, though. 1554. And we're going to talk after uh, in the second segment today. We're going to bring you an update on the um, the allotments at the, the U.S. Mint and what you can expect from the Silver Eagles. Platinum was down $7 at 102.8. Palladium followed down almost 3%, down 17 bucks at $640. U.S. DX today was strong, 0.28 to the upside, 96.50. Crude oil came back, 1.22, 52.87. And the market closed today. I mean, it was up big all day. I mean, it was uh, futures this morning when I was watching. I was too busy to watch the markets throughout the day today. But this morning, I mean, you were talking almost 200 points to the upside, and uh, it only managed 32, 17,548. So it had a, a little bit of lift from all the European markets, but it wasn't able to maintain um, that uh, big uh, turnaround. The NASDAQ was up 12 at 49.22, and the S&P up 4 at 2,015. The euro was still at 110, 10-year yield 2.30. That did move up on that yield, up 0.10. European markets, uh, let's see, we had uh, Germany up almost uh, 2 and uh, a third uh, percent. London was up. Hong Kong was a mixed bag. China had a little bit of a turnaround yesterday after they placed all kinds of uh, requirements and rules and laws that you can't sell your shares for six months if you're if you're a corporate owner, and uh, so a lot of things uh, did help that to. You know, I just <laughs> how do you like to be locked in where you couldn't sell your stock for six months? I know. It is amazing. I mean, the stock could lose half of its value in the next six months, and you can't sell? It's got to get some of those Chinese people talking to themselves. Well, in our market today, you know, the, you know you're going to have uh, earnings coming out, and, of course, with a strong dollar, you're not going to have, uh, you know, real good earning reports coming out. And today, even with that big move earlier today, most of all, the, the sector performances were down overall. There was only four that were up to the upside, health services, finance, and consumer durables and non-durables. So uh, it doesn't look uh, perhaps it will be a strong opening tomorrow. And uh, even the uh, uh, employment numbers came out earlier in the day. And we'll talk about that after Wendy Wilson joins us. Let's say hello to Wendy Wilson from Apothecary Herbs. Good afternoon, Wendy. Aloha, Al, Melody. Hey, that Aloha. means hello and goodbye, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, we're going to um, talk about the drought, you know, the water problem. Okay. You know, uh, you know reporting uh, drought conditions in the west part of the U.S. is really bad. Apparent loss of vital water to a lot of major lakes, like Lake Mead, Lake Powell. Actually, Lake Powell has this 100-foot bathtub ring where the lake water used to be, and experts are reporting now. You mean now it's by 100 foot? You mean yep. that the level of the water has fallen by 100 foot compared to what right. it was several years ago? Right. Well, Lake Lake Powell has been falling for a lot of years. It's been it was going down when I was in Arizona 20 years ago. It was losing right. well, water. 
Yeah. yeah, well, there's 40 million people in seven states that use this water. And it's a mm-hmm. real concern now because, you know, it's getting scarce. And what are they going to do? Uh, importing water is going to be expensive, especially if they're using most of it for agriculture. That's not going to be feasible. So, um, well, let's just get a, uh, an idea of what experts say. When environment becomes harsh for us humans, there's the rule of three. So uh, what it is is the average person can leave live three minutes without oxygen. We can live three hours without warm shelter in cold winter months. We can live three weeks without food, but we can only live three days without water. So those are the rules of three. And there's our exceptions, but, you know, for the average person, this is what it is. So our bodies need water. We, we need it to make moist mucous membranes, to make saliva, to help cells grow and regenerate, to flush out waste material, um, to lubricate our joints, uh, help regulate body temperature and um, digest food. And even our brain needs water to manufacture hormones and neurotransmitters. So it's a vital source. You know we have to have it. Uh, so I want to talk about the aquifers for just a minute. This is our groundwater. And we're tapping these aquifers more prevalently than we ever have in history. So right now, the United States, this is the lifeblood of our, our nation, is the aquifers. We have 10 regional aquifers throughout the U.S., and most of it's in central part of the United States. It's one of the world's largest aquifers. It's called the Okalala Aquifer. It's also called High Plains Aquifer, and it lies beneath eight states, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, South Dakota, and Wyoming. But a majority of it is under Nebraska. Now, Al, Melanie, do you know what they did in the 1940s to this aquifer? I have no idea. Well, they installed high-powered pumps to withdraw water at a 3-to-1 rate. So this aquifer has not been recharging. They've been pumping out more than it can ever be replaced. So it supplies 30% of the groundwater for irrigation purposes in the U.S., and 2.3 million people drink from this aquifer. And so the experts estimate this aquifer is going to run dry because of current use by 2028. That's bad. That's really bad. Uh, so the largest Plus drain... 15 years from now. I know. And they say the largest drain on our national aquifers is agriculture and drilling for oil. So aquifers are supplying half of all our water needs. The other half comes from surface water, like lakes and streams and so forth. So droughts will shrink the surface water, and it forces us to tap heavily into the aquifers, but they're not recharging. Now, some research from Stanford University in California stated that about 60% of the California water comes from underground aquifers. That's a 40% increase. So this has been increasing in demand, uh, and uh, people are in rural areas are starting to dig their own wells, okay? So, but the problem is it's in such demand, there's a 12-month wait in Central Valley, California, to have a, a well rigging uh, rig uh, show up. There's a waiting list. Now, Brian Howard, he's a well digger. He says they've been drilling wells in Central Valley, California, but they have to exceed the normal 1,000 feet to hit groundwater. And guess how much it costs to drill a well now? $300,000 just to get water. Right. Cheaper to, cheaper to drink uh, Johnny Walker. Well, he says that as the aquifers are depleted, the, the ground sinks 
okay? It's just yeah. going to sink. Yeah. Now, Colorado River Basin is reporting 40 million people in seven states are losing their groundwater about twice the amount of water that's stored in Lake Mead, which is your largest reservoir in the United States. But here's something I want to see. Do you know about uh, the Pickens plan, Al? Nope. Okay. Slim so Pickens. No, well, this is in Boone Pickens. That's no. Well, okay. this is important because people in Texas and surrounding Damn. states are very concerned about the water due to the drought and to a business plan called the Pickens Plan. Uh, it's a businessman. His name is T. Boone Pickens. He's an oilman and a corporate raider, and he is the largest landowner in parts of Texas. And so he bought rights to the water that lies beneath 68,000 acres of his land. And guess where that sits? Right above the High Plains Aquifer. So Mr. Mm -hmm. Pickens says water is the new oil, and he owns more water than any U.S. citizen. He owns so much water, he's pumping it out and selling it to foreign countries, 65 billion gallons per year. That's insane. <laughs> it's insane that we would allow that to take place. Right. So it's, Sell it's America's actually, water. I mean, we're going to wind up this place. We're going to need a camel. You know, you yes. want a pet, you buy a camel, and you're going to have to wear one of these burnooses or whatever they're called. We'll have to emulate the era. Hmm. Well, they say water is being called the new blue gold, and Pickens is, you know, supply and demand. Now, he's even able to drill on a slant to suck up the water beneath his neighbor's land. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's an era of water brokers and possibly water cartels down the road because even corporations like Nestle are snatching up land in, in rural areas just in order to harvest the water. So we're seeing here a massive move to lock up water supplies. And uh, some states now there's legislation where people are prohibited from using water, uh, rainwater collection barrels that they That's can right. get off their roof or from snow that, you know, melts on their land because, uh, you know, they haven't paid for water rights. So the government's protecting those that have paid for water rights, and that includes runoff. So uh, here's something, too. Canadian utility, Canadian River Municipal Water Authority, purchased 43,000 acres just south of Mr. Pickens' property in Texas to secure the water beneath it. Now, here's where this is insane. And since the 1900s in Texas, with regard to groundwater, it's called the rule of capture. Whoever can pump off the most wins, and you can even drain the water from beneath your neighbor's property, and they can do nothing about it. That needs to change. I guarantee you. Yeah, I know. They can do something about it, although right. it might involve some violence. But uh, you can sit there. You know, you got three, you made the point. You need water every. You got three days without water, and you're right. in the in there in the ground. Right. Um, this is going to be a big incentive for people to act, and they'll wait yep. until the last minute probably, but when it happens, it's going to be a big trouble. Right. Now, right now, if you buy an acre of water, 893 gallons out west, at $600. Um, so that's like $0.67 cents per gallon. Here in North Carolina, it's .006 cents per gallon. So here in North Carolina, an average family of four uh, per month, can get away with a water bill under $100 without washing their cars. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with water uh, problems. I mean, you could see, I guess, water bills as high as a mortgage payment, I guess. I don't know. 
But let me give some people some tips because uh, we can go back to the 1990s where some folks supplemented their water needs with a few simple pieces of equipment from the hardware store. And they didn't violate water rights to do this. So what they do is they go buy a humidifier and a couple of feet of hose and a hand pump and a 55-gallon drum. And what they do is they place this on top of a, a building, apartment buildings, even in cities. And what they do is they can collect water from the air, and they can get uh -huh. about five or six gallons of water in just a few hours. So uh -huh. this has been done. This is done even in very arid conditions. So if you plan to drink this water, it's best to pass it through a water filter first. So uh, that's a tip for folks if they want to get some water for their garden, for their pets. I don't know. For their camels, <laughs> yeah. I think. But um, but it's but it's a good idea. I mean, yeah. provided that you have electrical power to drive the the dehumidifier, mm -hmm. um, as long as your electricity is good, then you can you can get enough water out of the air almost any place you go. Right. If you've got the equipment, get enough. It'll keep you alive, keep a couple of people alive, and the rest of that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but what do you do about growing crops? Yeah, that's that's not going to your dehumidifier isn't going to produce enough water for crops to be exactly. pulling to be to, to be supporting your garden. That's not likely to happen. Right. Well, see, you know, people are preparing, so you know, they're, they're getting the you know the the, the self defense weaponry and things, and they're getting uh, you know heirloom seeds, and I guess they're stocking some water and of course some dehydrated food. But people shouldn't forget their medicinal needs, you know, to prevent sickness. And you get over sickness. So what they're doing, a lot of people will say, well, I'll just get some over-the-counter stuff, some prescription drugs, and I'll just stock those. But, you know, even when they're uh, preserved right in environmentally controlled areas, their, their shelf life is pretty short because these products contain active and inactive ingredients that are specific to a, a disease. And when they start to deteriorate, you can actually see the deterioration. The layers may separate. The color may change. The shape may change. So you got to be real careful because when these drugs uh, uh, deteriorate, they can become weak and unsafe. And researchers has 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 stated that when you have an unstable drug, um, that these are toxic before they expire, but after the expiration, they can cause organ failure. So people need to avoid anything that has expired when it comes to medicine. Okay. Well, I'm right? sure. Yeah, I get. I understand what you're saying. It's always a crapshoot. You know, you <laughs> well, need to be I've... careful. You need to be careful when it isn't expired, and if it is right. expired, maybe you need to be even more careful. Absolutely, and you know, for me, I, I, I try to go with the natural because a lot of your powdered herb products have a five-year shelf life, and the liquids, the tinctures, have a ten-year shelf life because they're preserved in alcohol. So, but they have to be environmentally stored. You know, um, if you don't have electricity for air conditioning in the warm months, you know, then a wine or, you know, a root cellar will do. You know, it's cool enough to keep them from heat because the herbs are heat and light sensitive. So, um, so people need to start thinking about what it is they can store long term. And uh, so the, the herbs are going to be your best bet. So if people are interested, they can pick up things like a snake bite kit, a pandemic kit, a power herb pack. They can pick up herbs for uh, strengthening their heart, immune system, uh, organ cleansing, a whole bunch of stuff there at the powerherbs.com website. So if they don't have Internet, they can call and get a free product catalog. The number is toll-free at 
229-3663. And uh, people be well out there. All right, Wendy, thank you very much for your information. Got to watch out for the drought sneaking up on all of us. And it's going to get worse. When we run out of groundwater, we're going to have a serious problem. And it will be more obvious and inescapable. That's Wendy Wilson from thepowerherbs.com at 866-229-3663. Melody and I will be back on Financial Survival in just a moment. Please stay tuned. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option you need our emergency heart attack kit five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle strengthen heartbeat increase circulation relieve pain and make breathing easier when seconds count you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse briefcase or car Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Are you concerned about prescription drug dependency to stay healthy? Are you worried that the cost and availability of your medications may put your health at risk? Perhaps it's time you consider a natural, safe, and effective way to deal with your health problems. If only you knew where to start. Start right here. Tune in to Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson every Tuesday and Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, where your health care options just became endless.
folks, I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstroman Financial Survival Programs brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. What's next, Melody? Well, we didn't get to talk much yesterday with Greg Hunter being on the program about the Mint uh, uh, and their halting of Silver Eagles and the delays that uh, we're experiencing. And, of course, uh, um, the July 7th, uh, the sales suspension. And what usually happens is there's always allotments. The U.S. Mint on Mondays go to the dealers. They say, we have this many Silver Eagles available. And depending on who the dealer is, they're allowed to purchase up to so many. And then the price is fixed on Tuesday, and then everything gets shipped from the Mint to the dealer. And for the past couple of months, there was they didn't have any um, limits. They they could buy as many as they they wanted to. They took off. Uh, there were no allotments, so any dealer could purchase whatever they wanted. So then, when that demand became real strong, uh, particularly in June, we had two quiet months, and that's probably why they did it. Was uh, April and May were quiet months, and, and so they didn't have the numbers. Uh, June picked up a great number for Silver Eagle sales in, in June, and um, um, they were caught um, with uh, little inventory. So they had to you know, suspend the sales. Uh, we'll see how many is available on Monday and uh, uh, to see what the dealers can get. And, of course, that's put a little bit of a delay, so they need to rebuild their inventory of Silver Eagles. But what this should tell people, and I do believe one day they could very well just suspend gold and silver coins from the mint. I mean, what, what would stop them from doing that? And uh, But it goes to show you shouldn't wait until something happens. There was a lot of things happening yesterday, Greece, China. Uh, it was enough uh, you know, I was here working late last night. and we- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.